welcome in to another edition of the Big Red Louie Podcast. My name is Presley Meyer. I'm your host tonight. Um, Jacob Blaine is actually out of the building today. We had you know things come up, had some family issues, but no worries. Um, we have uh, we have Alex Stengel in the building. Stengel, I already messed it up. Alex Stengel. I mean, like that was probably about as good as you're gonna get. Alex Stengel in the building, ladies and gentlemen. Alex is uh, new to the Big Red Louie podcast, uh, long-time listener, first-time contributor. So Basically, here yeah, I do sound like one of the crazy old men on, on the radio show, just first-time caller, long-time Dude, listener. Let's get right into it, man. I mean, what's the? I, I want to hear, I don't know if, if you're going to include this or not, but I want to hear what I think may be one thing that you learned this week. Yeah, so one thing I learned this week, um, definitely check dates on, uh, on your calendar. Uh, for certain events, especially for podcasting, so you don't show up at other people's houses at 7:30 on the wrong day, because <laughs> that just gets a little weird. So, I'm, for for context, um, this is Al- Alex's first time coming coming to the crib, Middletown, Kentucky. Shout out Middletown, um, and I was in the middle of my shift at work last night, and I get a call and from from this number, and I had no idea. <laughs> No idea who was calling me at seven thirty at night. He's like, "Hey, I'm at your door." It's like, well, I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, I just thought you were kicking me out of the podcast before I even started, and then come to find out, uh, Tuesday was actually Tuesday and not Wednesday. So you so, thought Wednesday? You thought it was Wednesday all day yesterday? Yeah. So the w- one thing I learned was just basically check your dates. From you time learned to time that there's this day. app on your phone where you can just one click of the button find out what day it is. Well, yeah, seven seven days. It's a little tough to keep up with sometimes. If so, you have a if you have a really busy schedule, that makes which sense. Which I didn't, but hey, you know, everything else is based in tens, but then we do seven days in a week. It makes no sense. I, I get it. it. I get yeah. it. It's fine. It is what it is. One I was, thing I was I eager. I was eager. That's all it is. One thing I learned this week. Um, not too super excited about. Super baby explosive poops. When I don't know if you if you, you and don't the fiance have any kid plans in the future. So I've changed plenty of poops, right? So future, future, I, yes. Right now it's just like a <laughs> 101 pound uh, white bulldog. So that that's I mean like you don't have yes, to change his diapers. We yet. do have poop problems, but not in the not in the context you're probably talking about. <laughs> like we don't have a, a diaper. Mine's just more of a bag in a yard kind of deal. But so I'm not not super excited about that part of, of being a father. Although I'm sure there's a lot more pluses. But um, I've changed lots of poopy diapers in my days. I got three nieces, but today was the first explosion I've ever seen. Just like just smelled like a rancid trash can. Um, just reality hitting you in the face, and yeah, that and then immediately just just got her on on the on the table to change her, and it was everywhere. Like she had on like one of those onesies, and it was just all up and down the legs and back. And that's that's when we lost all the podcasts that, that, podcast listeners. That's what I've heard from <laughs> yeah, like I've I've heard from other friends like they're like yeah, like got up to the net, and like I don't understand like how like hard you have to push to really get something like that like. I mean, something I, where that's it shouldn't be. We were, like that's almost impressive at that point. We were playing, and I didn't even notice that she was trying to poop or anything. It was just, just came flowing out like lava. I've, I've no, <laughs> I've no idea. Let's, let's move on. So yeah, how do you transition from that? There's no a, transitioning from poopy diapers. There's just not. Um, so first thing we want to talk about, get right into it today. Best, um, best kind of sports related craziest sports culture stories you have. Um, 
I, I know that you have probably a better one that I can contribute, and it's, it's super topical. Um, yeah, your yeah, experience with maybe a Rick Patino connected team. Right, buzzword. Got it, Patino. Yeah. Um, so being five seven, I am actually shockingly one of the only people in my family that don't play a D one sport. I'm not really sure how that came about. What's, what's Maybe hold on? Mind. So what sports did they play? What sports did your family play? Uh, sister and cousin uh, played field hockey. One for Miami Ohio, one for Louisville. Uh, cousin played football at EKU. I have a brother-in-law that still plays professional sports uh, basketball overseas, which is what I'll get to in a second. So basically, my whole family tree is just like athletes, and then and then you're just like making signs with and then hey, I'm drinking full sharpies. Yeah, like I'm drinking a Miller Lite, talking about sports because hey, yeah. if you can't do it, just just basically I'm just like five. It. I claim I five nine, but I don't even know if I am. So I've, I have five eight on my driver's license. And I get that out from time to time just to make myself feel better. Feel better? Like a little daily pick-me-up. I'm 5'8", but they didn't like bring out the ruler or anything on my driver's license. No, so they're never mean about it. I try to pull off 5'10", but my fiance is not, not taking that. Yeah, no. no. I thought about platform sneaks, but that, that was... We're average was, height, though. I mean, you can't... I don't know. I want to say that, and then I have a lot of six-foot friends, and I'm just secretly... Yes, like I'm clearly... I'm the shortest guy in every picture ever taken. Yeah, that is true. So, I don't know how we... I don't know how we got to that. Yeah, a little rabbit hole for short people, I guess, uh, Napoleon Syndrome. But <laughs> So, yeah, so speaking of my family tree with, with D1 athletes and whatnot, so my brother-in-law, has uh, he, he played basketball at Miami, Ohio. Mac uh, played the year like at least once, maybe twice, I can't remember. How tall is your brother-in-law? Six. So it's it's crazy. He, like If he's listening to this, I'm, I, I apologize, but like he doesn't have much of a neck, and he's still like 6'7 or 6'8". Something like that. And I always told him, I was like, if you had, if you had an actual neck, like, he's seven feet you'd be in the NBA. Yeah. And, like, he tried out for, like, the Hawks and, and actually was close to making the team and then, like, broke his foot in the summer league. So it was, like, super unfortunate. But Should have done more yoga. But the apparently. dude has literally, like, lived in the coolest places that Americans even, like, go for vacation. Like, right, he right. He started in uh, the Canary Islands, which, if you're not familiar with the Canary Islands, it's literally where Italians go to vacation. Mm-hmm. Um, so super tough country, you know, like just an island of 80 degrees all year round with like no clouds. Must be brutal. Yeah, super tough. Uh, and then went to Athens, uh, Greece for playing for Panthinakos, which just so happens, Buzzword Patino, uh, has recently just started coaching for this season. And one of the things I know, I think, uh, Mark Ennis was talking about it on his radio show, but when this first came about. But one of the things that Patino even mentioned, uh, I think in his, one of his tweets to his Pachuitos, um, was that he was excited about to, to see the rivalry game. And so here's what I want people to understand, is that a rivalry game in a city like Athens, even if you think you know basketball isn't really you know a big European sport, it is. Uh, they get crazy about that. It's literally like a soccer game indoors uh, with a roof on. And so if, if you would have like Louisville fans and like UK fans, if they like more, if they deathly hated each other, like more than they do now, and they were living in the same confined space, right? Not just spread out in, in a in a state really, but like just maybe a city like Louisville. And it gets so heated uh, that literally the year before I got there to see this rivalry game, uh, the other team wasn't allowed. The other team's fans weren't allowed to attend this rivalry game because the year before it got so bad. 
with like rioting and fights and everything else before the game even started apparently so so literally uh panthenacos fans were only allowed to go to this game because it was on their home floor so it's a rivalry game with like basically only louisville fans are allowed to go because last year people like died or something like that like it was crazy uh so I'm hearing about all these, like, how crazy it is, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know. Like, I've seen I've seen the YouTube videos of, like, European soccer games, and I've seen the, the sports right. clips and things like that. I mean, like you've that. been to probably a U of L UK game or, right. or something yeah, like, of that you, nature. Yeah, you've been to yeah. rowdy environments over here, and you're like, yeah, okay, no big deal. So you get there, right? You get there, and you get off the subway train, and you start walking down um, – it, they they play in the Olympic uh, the Olympic Park right and it's kind of sad because it the Olympics were there in like 2000 mm-hmm. dumped millions hundreds of millions of dollars on this campus to build up everything they don't use hardly any of it anymore like it's all just rust it looks almost like Chernobyl to where like it's just vacant and eerie it's, if you've ever been to like have you seen like the one in, in Atlanta it's kind of sim- like it's not it's not vaguing because yeah it's more I of haven't like seen a, it but I've heard about it yeah. like an urban city ba- right. environment it's basically like a ghost town, yeah though. like in like, the middle of a major city it's just a, it's, it's kind of odd it's like a you're like in downtown or some kind of area and then all of a sudden you just like walk into this big like quote unquote park area but it's not really a park it's right, just yeah. like where they had the Olympics one time yeah, so, it, yeah. It, it's literally creepy except on on game nights and then it like people get off the bus and then like you just it's see just, everybody the only things they still use is a soccer stadium and the basketball stadium right so we start walking in then someone just tells us by the way i'm glad you got here early because you have to go through the swat team security oh so there's not just metal detectors like you walk through at the yum center where like the people in the red jackets are like yeah actually just wear everything and you still get to pass through <laughs> right. no problem somehow there were seven swat teams Outside of the stadium. Like with like shields and that kind shields, of stuff. Shields, riot gear, tanks, like the whole nine yards. I mean, it was it was ins- like you're already intimidated. Right. They, then like the crowd just started getting, you know, nuts in terms of like people trying to get in the game. People started shoving each other, all this stuff. So like just getting into the game was like almost more nuts. intense than like an actual basketball game. So I'm like, all right, it can't get much worse than this. Right. Crazy wise. It does. That was like the tip of the iceberg. We get in there, um, and I'm sure I can get kicked off the podcast after this story if you want, but <laughs> basically there was literally uh, a section that you could tell there was just people just smoking doobies, like yeah. a bunch of cloud smoke everywhere because you just smoke in indoor just arenas. Smoke because like there. Why, it's Europe. Why not? Why not? Yeah. 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 Who cares? So you got that. You got giant inflatable everythings that are just being like hit around. Like Think of like the, the volleyballs. Or like the like the beach volleyballs at like U of L football games, right? But like times a thousand, but like way bigger and then way more grotesque because like somehow they found like blow up genitals and then blow up this and then blow up that and then they just pass them around the arena, <laughs> just like pounding them around. That, that, yeah, this is normal. <laughs> uh, so you got that, and then after the first quarter, I guess the first quarter went so well, a fan decided to light a road flare and chuck it down into the court, just like just. Thankfully, just it was during a timeout. Just fireworks was, in the yeah. middle of the floor. And he was gracious time. enough to do it during a timeout. So, like, nice of him. You know, yeah, exactly. It wasn't during the game. Yeah. Which apparently they do that too. But yeah, so you just see a road flare being chucked down the side of the arena. How does uh, it get past the seven squad or seven you would think, SWAT right? teams? I don't want to think about that assume. part too hard. Because right. right. then you're going to go into a whole other rabbit right. hole. Right, yes. But yeah. essentially, there's just a culmination of. 
and there's a there's a giant net around the around the court as well. So you have to realize you it's can't almost like throw stuff on like like a, a, like a hockey arena or something. Yeah, right? like, so half half the arena was literally like I guess what I assumed were like the worst people of their fans, <laughs> like the like the part to where they know like oh this these these fans like throw crap on the court. So the half half the court is literally netted around the basketball arena right. for that purpose, and obviously oh. they still get around it because yeah, there's apparently crap being thrown everywhere. So just taking this all in, uh, and and then realizing that on top of everything, there's still a basketball game going on on the court. Right. And by that time, you don't even care because the people watching, in terms of like if you're an American being over there, right, watching this, like I could care less. Like I thought I was gonna watch my brother-in-law play a basketball game. Instead, I basically got a culture shock of like what a real rivalry game entails. And for the for this game, was it? Were there rival fans there for the, for the one that you went to? No, th- no, it was only it was only, only Panthanakos Pan- 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 or Panthanakos or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, only those fans because last year it got too intense. And it, it and huh. of course, like you're not supposed to wear, um, like he can't go to the other side of Athens when he was playing there because like there's an Olympiakos like fan side of the city. What the? So heck? it'd be like it'd be like him like walking into Lexington and like just straight up Louisville gear, but like they right. actually legitimately might like, like actually hate you hurt you yeah i want to know it, more it, about insane. the background behind like the fan bases so like there's like i feel like there's a there's a history um and a reason why you and uk fancy hate each other like you know like i mean there's like maybe some political stuff maybe some racial stuff maybe some um i mean like it's just the way that you're raised like a- after a while like there, there's all kinds of different um like intricacies of the rivalry that you could get into i guess yeah i, th- I think um, for for me it's just it's always more simplistic like you grow up like your team wears red the team on the other side wears blue you know like we're the good guys right, they're the bad right. guys and then they get the same spiel on the other side right pretty much but i think what patino didn't realize when he took that job is just legitimately how crazy panthanakos's current owner is this is a man that has literally been banned from his own arena multiple times. This is a man that <laughs> has busted into the ref's room after games to not only kill or to literally threaten to kill the refs, but also threaten to kill their families. Like he's, uh, this is actually like recorded, like officially he's done this. I can, I honestly can see what this guy looks like in my head. Yeah, he's he's tall, kind of strung out, shocker. Um, yeah. has long hair, like that's always pulled back, like like super unbuttoned shirt, but like, like you could tell hair. he's worth like billions at the same time. Oh like, yeah, just yeah, very unshovable, like wealthy unshovable. If that makes sense, <laughs> like un- like you can tell he's got a lot of money, but he's also probably got some problems upstairs. Absolutely, maybe. yeah, yeah. the yeah. best ones do for sure. So, <laughs> so basically, knowing how that owner operated, like you know, and then the fact that Patino is the one that chose to right. go there. I mean, like talk about a perfect storm because I really don't. His agent must have undersold the crap out of that. So was this with his, with was this this past year? Was this wasn't when Bettina was coaching? It was the no, year no, no, before. This, th- yeah, this was a few years ago. He's okay, actually okay. another terrible city. He's been living in with my uh, with my sister for the past like three years, I think. Uh, okay, they're now in Venice, Italy. So it's it's super oh, tough. Yeah, dude. This I know. Man, they, sh- he's living honestly. I mean, the sacrifices you make for the game. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And, and which I mean, they're they're out of the states like. 10 months out of the year so like it does it yeah. it does definitely have some drawbacks it, but it can, it can take a toll living in italy but yeah having a sure. having a personal connection to one of the craziest sports experiences of my life and then finding out that basically the coach i grew up with watching as my basketball in your hometown team, team yeah. 
now coaches your brother-in-law's team with a crazy six, mastermind owner. Six time zones away. Right, with like yeah. SWAT teams and road flares and everything else. It's just small world. Yeah, it is, but it isn't. I don't know. Yep. I don't. Well, I mean, I don't know if I can. Uh, I can top that with the craziest sports stories. But hey, I heard they had um, thirty-eight deflections on Twitter. Thirty-eight deflections, and, and apparently they Patino can die a happy man because did, did they deflect basketballs or flares? Is probably, there any confirmation? Probably both. He didn't really put that in the tweet, but um, but yeah, I mean, they made it to the playoffs, so I guess uh, I guess he turned it around for them. So uh, I'm just afraid if they leave, what the uh, what the owner if he right. if he really starts like Patino, I'm not sure uh, if he's gonna want to yeah, let him like go if, that easy. What if Patino like goes to like Michigan? Do you think the owner's gonna like? I don't know. Like you, have a bounty out on his head? Like he's not gonna a, be allowed back in Greece ever? Like you you essentially have a man that I I legitimately thought you know he looked the part in terms of like a mob boss growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and I thought he was still awesome because he's Louisville's head coach. But then you also have an Italian crazed billionaire who's probably in some sort of cartel of his own, probably. And now they're just working for the same organization. So, um, you know, it, it, if there is one person that I feel like it would be a good fit for that, though, it is Bettino. Right. In like, terms of like meeting your match, almost. Right. Like I, it, I mean, if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever like been around Bettino in person, um, he will look through. Very notable people, like they are just like a window. Like he just like will stare right through your soul. Like he's a very intimidating person to be around. Like I, I would I would be like intimidated to ask Patino like tough questions at a press conference type thing. Like he's just he's a polarizing figure. Like he he is. I don't I don't I'm not sure there's a good way to describe it, but you know some guys some people just have that aura about them where they're yeah. just like. I saw him once He's, at Molly Malone's, and I just the exact minute I finally mustered up the courage to like almost go over and mm-hmm. say hi to him, and I think I was like maybe like twenty, twenty five maybe or something like that. But literally, I was I was a little bit younger, and I was like all excited because you know it's Patino and all that. Sure. He said something to this man he was with, looked very pissed off, mm-hmm. S- like finished his beer, slammed it on the bar. Like stood up and then like did this little ruffling thing with his scarf because of course he has this long it was like in the it, of course, in the winter yeah. time so he had this like two thousand like, dollar scarf super heavy like overcoat and then there's like, woven super, from a yeah, Yeti's eyelashes literally yeah, like probably yeah. just just prior to him going to Molly Malone's yeah I'm sure it was <laughs> that kind of quality yeah, but it, yeah like did this little sachet thing with his with his scarf and then like walked out and I was like well all right that's my coach cool. Yeah, I mean, and, and there's there's only I could probably count on one hand the amount of people that have kind of the aura that I've been around in in my entire life that Patino has. I mean, may, maybe like uh like brief encounters with like Tiger Woods, Muhammad Ali, like those are the type of the people that like his mentality. Like he's not that he's above you. He's just like he's just such a driven person that. There's just so like I don't know. The, the, he, he just probably that. thinks he's better than you in the back of his mind, though. Oh I yeah, yeah, you would yeah. Have to, for sure, for sure. You kind of like, have you can't to let be. That to one be go, yeah, yeah. Um. Anyways, few, few, not necessarily housekeeping things, but uh, Louisville related things because we do talk all Louisville sports here. Louisville baseball is on a roll. Forty plus wins again this season. Um. I'm not sure. Are they actually playing tonight? I know they played. They played uh, they, they played yesterday. IU. Uh, IU. I actually, uh, I'm glad they tweeted it because it was the perfect uh, tweet today. But basically, it went 12 innings, I believe. Right. They were up 6-0, six, six right? 6 and then, nothing. I, I turned it off my phone because I was like, all right, we're, we're rolling again. They're good. Yeah. Cooked some dinner. Checked it. 
and then all of a sudden it was like six to five, I think, in the middle of the baseball game, and I was like, oh boy, okay, yeah, it's gonna be close. They they were making a comeback, and no one likes to get beat by the Hoosiers, so I was no. like, this can't happen. We we right. kind of struggled with them last year too, at the same time, and we were when we were also really really good, um, but but yeah, so apparently I'm kind of glad I went to bed honestly because twelve innings takes a long long time it's a little much for, it's for like a college baseball game it's like a golf playoff but much less exciting yeah so i'm, yeah. I'm thankful i woke up and just checked twitter and then they were like oh by the way we won even though yeah. it was like 12 30 or, or one right. o'clock in the morning but good hey. to get excited about yeah but yeah so i think they were actually uh indiana was ranked like 21st i think in a couple polls so it, right. it was a good no i mean it's it a good, it's week, a good win and it's a, win, it's a yeah. rivalry game you know there's there's a little I, I wouldn't say animosity but i think there's a little bit of extra um, a little bit of extra motivation to to for them to beat a team like Louisville and for Louisville to beat a team like them. Um, I think they split the series last year. Is that right? They played a, a home and home last year. Um, I want to say that's maybe right, yeah. maybe I'm misremembering, but um, regardless, another 41 season for Dan McDonald. Um, I believe if they win two out of the next three games against a pretty tough Florida State team with a with a lot on the line for them, then they'll be the number one seed in the ACC tournament. Right. They could be potentially looking at. A super regional being hosted in Louisville. There's a lot. There's a lot good going for them again. Yeah. In a down season. Right. And I, I, I do think. Um, I also correct me if I'm wrong, or you know, if we have anybody listening to the podcast that you know wants to disagree, but I'm pretty sure I heard on the radio today that as long as Louisville at least wins one game of the series, uh, then that means we officially have at least a share of the of, ACC. Of the ACC. Yeah. yeah. They need to win. I think they need so to they win. So they need one win. Uh, to get the, the the one seed, I believe. Right, exactly. Right. So, like, obviously, you always want to win a series because I was I was not happy with dropping the series to Virginia. That the, w- the that was kind of a killer. Yeah, it was. It was. It, and you don't want to see that, especially heading into the postseason. But hopefully, that's something that could you know motivate them going forward uh, for the regionals. But, but yeah, so so basically, we're right on the cusp of of not only having just another share the ACC title or you mm-hmm. know if Georgia Tech even loses a game then then we get the I think we win the ACC Over, outright 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 correct yeah yeah, yeah so a, a bunch of exciting things and once again you know McDonald's just the pillar of success and consistency and consistency and, right. right and and doing it the right way cuz he he's legitimately a, a good person you know I th- I think right. that's why he he's such an easy guy so to So easy to for. cheer for yeah, exactly. right and it seems like he's a guy who does things the right way um you hate the the term players coach, but I mean he is like he he truly is. The guys love him. Um, he recruits. If if you look at the the um, basically the, the competition that he has to work with, or that he has to basically face as far as you know grabbing kids um, that a lot of SEC schools want, grabbing kids that a lot of the Big Ten schools want. Not only just schools, but like the MLB ones. I mean, yes. we, we lost a recruit. To the first round of the MLB. I mean, right, right. He's recruiting at an extremely high level. Given, I don't want to say that Louisville has. Um, they definitely don't have poor amenities. Their their uh, facilities are awesome, but compared to you know, you go to a place like uh, like Ole Miss, or you go to a place like um, can't remember where it was that they were playing. Um, a couple weeks ago, but you look at some of these stadiums, and they're like minor league baseball stadiums. Like they, some of these places, like they can fill up a stadium of fifteen, twenty thousand people with their fans for a baseball game. And um, so you have you have Dan McDonald recruiting against people like that, and he's consistent, can just consistently bringing in so much 
major league talent. Um, and a cool thing about baseball too is they get they have to play three years once they decide to come. So he's also developing so much ma- major league ta- major league talent major league talent. There you go. Um, Third time the charm. But big big deal or not that um, they started off the year poor and now they're finishing strong. Whereas in some of the previous years. They started off so strong. Like I remember going to some of those games with um, McKay and uh, oh man, this is gonna kill me. The the uh, the second baseman, the guy that was just an absolute killer of the plate. Cannot think of his name. Kind of lanky dude. Plays for the White Sox now, I think. Regardless, I'm gonna get scolded um, for not knowing Ellis. That is that right? Drew Ellis. Yeah. Drew Ellis. Um, you have some some of these just like, superbly talented players. Well, to your um, point, it's super. It's super tough. Recruiting at a school that not only has shown um, obviously a lot of a lot of accolades uh, in the past, you know, ten fifteen years on the football side, but mm-hmm. also a traditional basketball powerhouse. Right. So you got to think like, you know, some of these schools like you're talking about in baseball that that's one of their own. That's one of their like that's that's their one thing. sport or They're two sport a baseball school. school. Yeah, right. exactly. And so you know, of course, a kid wants to be the one going to like. Mm-hmm. A school that's literally like your your team is the team on campus, right? And in in the ACC, you know, especially at Louisville, like, you know, the fact that he has made baseball almost into, you know, in some in especially like this year, like football went two and ten, and he's cranking right. out another, another awesome baseball, another season. great. This season. legitimately has given Louisville fans something to root for. Well, and to where we're not just waiting on another football season for five or six months. What like like we actually have a real competitive team year in year out in right. another sport that a lot of Louisville fans probably weren't interested in before McDonald right. came around. I mean, base baseball, soccer, softballs on the come up, volleyballs on the come up. I mean, golf's on the come up, which we'll talk about that in a, here in a second. You're going to talk about because yeah, I, right, I'm right. Going to butcher well, that segment. <laughs> We there are so many. I mean, even shout out DJ Benime who couldn't make it because of a flat tire tonight. Um, Tough. Uh, some of these other small non-revenue sports. I mean, they're just pumping out awesome seasons over and over and over again, which uh, is a true testament to what Tom Jurich built. True testament to what Vince Tyree has continued at Louisville, and is a true testament. Um, speaking specifically of baseball, to just how good of a coach and how good of a person and leader Dan McDonald has been. Um, so I guess my, I, my my question would have been, is it a big deal or not that they kind of have reversed the way that the last few seasons have been? It seems like they kind of fizzled once they got to the once they got to the um, to the NCAA championships in previous years, whereas this year it seems like they're kind of on a hot streak going into the end of the season. Um, big deal or not that they're kind of on a roll now. I know they started off the season. They got they lost a series to UConn, who is not a traditional power. That one was super a, weird. Yeah. I mean, it's it happens. It's in baseball when you play best of three series, best of four series. Uh, things happen. Right. Um, you know, some some teams just have your number, but UConn. I mean, they played UConn a lot in the Big East. It's not a traditional baseball power. Uh, not by any means. Like I think most Louisville fans were like, "Oh yeah, we'll start out three and zero, not a big deal," and drop two two games to start out the season, kind of in blowout fashion. People were like, "Okay, maybe this is a rebuilding year." All of a sudden, now, I mean, you look at towards the end of the season. I mean, they're one or two wins away from being the one seed in the ACC. Um, I mean, 
tip of the hat to Dan McDonald, number one. But number two, is it a big deal or not that they're kind of more um, on, on the uptick going into the into the postseason this year as opposed to in previous years they've started out so hot, kind of stumbled down the stretch? Right. I want to say it's it's a it's a great thing for for them as a team because like the comparison I'm about to make makes no sense at all. So all right, this is going to be great. It. Perfect. I love but to hear that. In, in, in my fandom experience, you know, there's a lot of Louisville basketball teams that started off, you know, not only did they start off, but they already had decent expectations before the season started right. and then kind of started fumbling out of the gate mm-hmm. early. Now the teams that started super, super white hot, you know, like you said, you start seeing kind of the, the drop off before before you hit the postseason, right? And, and and you never want to see that. But but the traditional, and don't get me wrong, on the Mac train, hundred percent. So I, right, not trying to keep pulling Patino out of the hat. Um, but like in, in in some of the teams he had though, like you know they they had some high expectations before the season. They kind of hit a rut towards the beginning, but then he would always have them trending upward at the right, at the right. right time at the end of the season. Exactly. And so I hate making that comparison because obviously it's like oranges to apples with basketball to baseball. Yeah, but you can still compare fruits. But it's good to see because like you're talking about, even in a Dan McDonald led program, when they've had had these amazing starts and then somehow just taper off at the wrong time at the end of the season, mm-hmm. that's not the case this year. Nope. So so within their own. Within their own team, it's a it's a great sign because they're not doing what they've consistently done with their great teams in the past. What I think this is a perfect example of what we talk about a lot in some of the other major sports, in that, I mean, Louisville football is a perfect example. There's a lot of talent on that team. There's a lot of Power Five talent on that team. Doesn't matter if there's no team chemistry. Um, if you don't have the leadership, if you don't have the organization, if you don't have the motivation, you're gonna suck. Period. Um, and we could go for hours on Louisville football, but we won't do that tonight. Um, baseball is a perfect example of a team just completely buying in. There's clearly not the amount of talent that there was on the previous two or three years' teams, yet this could be the best team yet. I mean, it really could be, to be totally honest with you. I mean, we, you know, you're looking at a situation where Louisville it, it could be looking at playing at home all the way to the College World Series, I'm not sure exactly. I'm not a college baseball aficionado, aficionado and don't claim to be, and I don't think you do either. No, um, but, yeah, but I get, think you that's, get the regional that's and situation then, that's in play. Right, for sure. top eight seeds. Mm-hmm. That, Depends on how it plays out, I right, think, obviously. From with, other, with other teams. But they're definitely going to host. Um, definitely going to host something regional, crazy yeah. happening. They're definitely going to host a regional. Um, which, again, is just it, that, that's a testament to um, what Dan McDonald has built. Um, and it's a testament to... to Vince Tyree for for keeping him on for keeping the the momentum rolling. Speaking to Tyree, shout out Vince Tyree for the hire of Holly April. Um, Louisville softball has never been um, anything to write home about. To be totally honest, they had a decent run back in I want to say 2012 ish, 2013, mm-hmm. where they were really solid. They made a solid run in the postseason. Um, since then, crickets. Um, previous regime ended. Holly April comes in and immediately um, there's an immediate impact made. Um, huge hire. Shout out to them. I don't know. I honestly, um, and shame on us for not following uh, Louisville softball well enough. I don't know 
much about what's going on, but sh- just want to give a quick shout out to Louisville Softball because that's um, they're doing tremendous things there. I believe they're a three seed. Is that right? In, in the turn, I, I, I'm pretty sure they're. I'm three taking seed. your word on it. Yep. I just thought as a as a non, not as a non fan. I hate that I even said that. No, as uh, a non uh, somebody who as someone who doesn't very, follow very, softball, very casually. Right. right? Exactly. Um, I think the most badass thing that I saw, not even from a softball perspective, was that. Tyra literally was able to go out and pluck what at the time is the best ACC softball coach. Yep. I mean, she took Pitt to apparently unprecedented heights in their softball program. And apparently. he literally was like, all right, well, yeah, we're going to get you. And she said, all right. So not that I love like seeing the, you know, the tears of teams that, that, coaches get stolen from right but i might have been on twitter that day looking up pit fans uh, yeah. especially for softball <laughs> just to see you know like how sour they might be because that's always a good right. indicator like if right. they're legitimately upset they're losing a coach then obviously that's a good thing absolutely uh, um so, and uh, they were upset like right. they were they were they did not understand why she was jumping from one ac acc school to another and all this like they couldn't figure it out which told me i was like okay so we did make right a good, there, yeah, a good hire, obviously. There some so shock waves about the softball. Yeah, um, like I'm not in that universe, but apparently it yeah. was it was a big deal. So I, I was pretty happy to see that Tyra went out and just kind of imposed his will on. Hey, this is our school. This is how great our facilities are. This is what we're gonna do. Good for on you him, as man. Coach, so. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, honestly, not that there wasn't a solid um, core of coaches because there obviously was in in the non-revenue sports. Um, but it seems like Ty Ray is really placing an emphasis on making Louisville a well-rounded school, e- e- maybe even Absolutely. more so than what Jurich had had established. Um, you look at, you know, the volleyball arena now has a sponsor. Um, I mean, we're nationally renowned in, in, in swimming and diving now, too. Right. I mean, that, I, we got na- we got national gold medalists just coming back year after year now. Like, yes. Like that's just a normal thing for us now is just having right. world record breakers and. And keep in mind, swimming. some of the stuff is. Very, I want to say, like, you know, very SEC, um, um, you know, Southern Conference school stuff going on um, that Louisville doesn't have great weather four or five months out of the year, even during the summer. I mean, Louisville doesn't have ideal weather for outdoor sports, period. We have Um, a great three weeks of fall. Yes. Every year. And zero weeks of spring. Um, Actually, this year hasn't been too bad. But regardless... Um, they're still having basically a crazy amount of success in some of these kind of like warm weather sports that you wouldn't expect. You'd expect more from like Florida or um, I don't know Texas, right? Or no, exactly. USC or well, and 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 kind of going back to touching on baseball. I mean, like that's literally like the the most consistent best teams you see are always down south. Like Florida even the State. smaller schools like Rice. Florida, and, Miami, Rice. Yeah, yeah like yeah, Texas. The, te- the teams Texas that never Tech, get cold. TCU. Right, exactly. The and, the players who can practice year-round, I mean, it, it, it has a true impact. And, yeah. Uh, and no other places that have more of an impact, um, and I've experienced this firsthand, um, than, than college golf. Um, it, it has always been a bugaboo for Louisville the men's golf team specifically has always consistently been the most underperforming team. Um, e- even during during the Jurich years, um, there's to me there's a little bit of um, 
little bit of an issue with with their home course being um, quite a bit of a drive away from from the campus. Um, if you're if you're a student, say you know there's kids from Canada and and um, other countries and uh, coming from across the country basically to come play golf at U of L, it's thirty plus minute drive to go to the course every day. Um, I yeah, know but you can always pick up some clearance khakis and, and polos at the at the outlets. That's though. true. You so, could. I mean, you like, could. it is somewhat convenient. So maybe that's you what, need to shop as well. Maybe that's what's what luring kids in is the outlet shops. Well, and, and to be honest, I'm glad they. I'm one. I've never been there, but it looks amazing in terms of the actual golf course because I've driven by it. Right. However they, many times. This, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Don't cut me off. I apologize, sir. Uh, no, but I, I will say I'm glad they. When it comes to golf courses, like that's just one thing you don't want to geographically force, right? Because right. like our campus is here, and a lot of it's in you know like not downtown, but you know right. like yeah. old downtown Louisville, old Louisville, yeah, yeah. old Louisville. Right. Uh, where the hell are you gonna put a right? No, a golf oh, course here. Right, I mean, right. like that, that's the thing. So I'm I'm glad they didn't push the geographics of it because I've heard. Even with the renovations, like I heard it's amazing now, like just super, they, super, like top of the line, which is what you want. Right. So even if it for, doesn't fit location-wise, if you hold on for 20 minutes, you know, we'll take a ride to the mm -hmm. golf course and it's right. worth it. You right. know, like at, for those, it, it is a straight shot. It, it's a pretty straight shot to, to get out there. Um, but for those who don't know, um, Cardinal Club, formerly Cardinal Club in Simpsonville, uh, recently transitioned to what is now known as University of Louisville Golf Club. They've invested over $9 million into the golf course, um, renovating the practice facility, making the course more of a championship-level course. Um, and this week, they hosted um, an NCAA tournament regional, which is a big deal. And they hosted some of the, some of the kind of um, perennial giants in the sport. Um, Oklahoma State, for those who don't follow, um, very much similar to kind of like uh, a Clemson, like how Clemson would be in football. I, w I was going to say they'd be the Alabama of golf, but Alabama is still the Alabama of golf. Like Alabama is the best in football and golf. Really? But, but Oklahoma State is right there, um, right there with them. They're the number one ranked team in the country this year. So Louisville hosted Oklahoma State. They hosted Auburn. They hosted Baylor. So you, you have all these warm weather schools. You have these, these players that are able to practice outdoors year-round. Um, on you know some of the best tracks in the country, um, and so at some of the best programs with some of the best coaches, um, Louisville has traditionally not been um, a golfing golf power. Now that being said, you expect for them as the host of the regional to have a better shot than anyone right, uh, of, of qualifying. Like. And golf golf is different than like say basketball or football, where it's one of the only sports where you're going to go and play. Um, consistently something different every single day so they do have there's more of a home course advantage than anything um for golf i'm glad you than, said that because my my next question i was hoping it wasn't going to be a dumb one was like because we finally get to host our own event I mean, at our own course is there some level of right, home course yes absolutely advantage? absolutely like they know I mean, little nooks and crannies that so coming from a little bit of experience yeah, you literally have a D three uh, golf, golf shirt on sure not, I do. as you're as you're doing this. So, like, so he does mean business. I, right, I but very very minimal experience compared to a high level Division one tournament. That being said, um, there's definitely um, an advantage, and even the weekend golfer would know if somebody plays. You know, even if you play out at Seneca or Cherokee, you know, every Sunday morning or Which, whatever. That's exactly um, where you can find me playing bogey golf. Yeah, uh, there you go. Yeah. So there's yeah. nothing wrong with so playing bogey golf if there's, if there's beer involved. Yeah. 
<laughs> I'm I'm way more of a city course. But, I'm I'm not yeah. good kind of guy. So, um, but regardless, you can probably attest if you've played Seneca 15 times and you bring your buddy out, you have a good you have a uh, um, a feeling that you might be able to compete with somebody who's even a little bit better than you. Um, like I know where the ball wants to go. Like right, I know right. where I should. That's the thing. Like I know exactly like the secret spot where I should so hit it. Somebody who it's just plays my body somehow doesn't follow what right, my mind right. wants to do with the golf ball. Right, right. So which so, apparently is the whole point of golf, <laughs> and that's why they get paid millions of dollars is because exactly, they can kind exactly. of meet that that A to B point. But so for some for somebody who actually kind of you know is is, is has you know perfected their craft for years, um, having that home course experience is important that being said only the fourth ever ncaa tournament appearance for louisville golf ever that's huge um i'm not sure if you heard the interview with mark crabtree who's been he's been one of the longest tenured louisville coaches out there i've not um he's been with the program for well over a decade um and he has never been able to find um basically the the right algorithm to get his team to um you know have a successful kind of postseason run um they've always hung around the 30s to 40s in the rankings but you have to qualify and be one of the top 30 teams in order to advance to the NCAA tournament um and they did they do have a lot of players who came through who were very good players um adam hadwin is um, is now kind of a mainstay on the PGA Tour. Um, there's a lot of there are a lot of good players who have, have come through the program, but they haven't had a consistent team. So um, they kind of kind of stumbled out of out of the gate for doing okay for the first two days, and kind of had a really clutch final day. Um, everybody, the key to college golf, you play five, you count four scores. Gotcha. Um, okay. So I'm glad you broke that down. Right. So the first two days, they had a couple of players play well, but they didn't have everybody um, scoring well. So say you have two guys shoot 68. If one guy shoots 78, that's going to really be weighing down your score. If so you have to count as 78. Does everyone? So like, in order to count four out of the five, you take you take the four best scores. Okay. Yeah. So so what what they had that ended up ultimately propelling them to the NCAA tournament. They finished fourth today, and they had to come in the top five to qualify. What ultimately ult- ultimately ended up propelling them to the, um, to the basically, championship um, round of the tournament um, was just consistency. Nobody went super low today, but everybody shot, I believe, either 71 or 72, which is huge. Um, if you can do that every time, you're gonna have a decent chance in, in college golf. You just can't have those high numbers. Right. Um, Oklahoma State tore it up today. I think that between their four top scores, they had 14 birdies on the back nine. That's awesome. Um, finishing down the stretch, especially Cardinal Club, a tough back nine going down the stretch. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's not a, it's not something huge, but it's a, uh, it's a decent accomplishment given where the program has stood in years past. Um, it gives them a decent chance to get into the match play rounds. And basically once they get to the championship in Arkansas, um, they'll have, I believe either two or three rounds of qualifying. I believe they take the top 12 teams from there and then they have match play rounds. So basically they have match play until they have ultimately have a champion. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's a great accomplishment. Shout out to the to the um, Louisville men's golf team. Don't want to spend too much time on, on men's golf at all. But No, yeah, um, I, I think it's just awesome to see, you know, when when a school invests something specific into a program and then you see the progression of that it's, program. It's paying like, dividends. Like that's exactly what you want to see when you put an investment into something yep. is yep. some sort of ROI, whether it be in college sports or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean that's that's the whole reason for the whole you know college facilities races. Yes, you know if we build it, better players will come. Absolutely, and then our teams will eventually. And then and then you better. saw it paying dividends too. You know you had you had I believe I think it was twelve was it twelve teams twelve or sixteen teams, um, twelve of the best teams in the country in town plus their relatives plus everything that that brings. Um, so you you had um, kind of the attention being drawn to the Louisville Regional to the fact that we have a world class golf course. Um, I saw that a lot of the teams actually got to play a practice round at Valhalla um, upon their arrival. So there's a lot of cool things that came with it. Um, so yeah, I mean, it clearly paying dividends um, for Isn't having the course remodel, which a lot of people when they saw they were investing nine million dollars into the golf course thought it was you know ludicrous, but clearly today. Um, awesome day for the program. Um, awesome recruiting tool to have the kind of facilities that they have. They have, um, I don't know if you've ever been out there, they have some awesome hitting bays. They have a great practice facility. The course is immaculate. I've just seen the really um, big, like, Cardinal Bird made out of golf balls. Yeah. And that already yeah. had me sold. Like, that, that was go. it. I was, Cardinal Bird made with golf anything balls. Else. I was like, but yeah, that, that's Alex nifty. Is sold. I like it. 100%. Shout out Little Men's Golf Team. That's all we'll talk about um, regarding that. Um, NBA playoffs are on right now. Um, they are. What are your thoughts? Who do you have? Who do you have in the finals? Oh. Just as uh, not even thinking about it. Considering the NBA guru himself uh, had his car breakdown on the way over here, I I literally uh, I, I I texted him in the thread and I was like, you're you're gonna be upset with any NBA take I have because obviously he knows way more than me. Um, my thing, I'm just basically at this point rooting for the field against uh golden state which i know that's even taking three over them is just right right still a very uphill battle but it would be nice to see you know like a small market team like milwaukee or i guess the raptors are still are they technically a small market team i don't i don't know but like uh medium i don't 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 know know. it's hard to define it's hard to put a a label on the raptors because toronto is a huge city either way Uh, i want to i want the dynasty toppled Put put me in that hater group of of like I just don't want to see five all stars winning another championship because they're just what? stacked. And now it's I guess be. I guess I'm going for Toronto because I I thought the yeah. the Kawhi Leonard shot the other night was was unbelievable. Like I'm super I'm happy for him honestly because right. like that's a team he didn't want to go to a place he didn't want to be at and right. then you literally just made what they announced today on the radio is like one of the top five most historical shots in the NBA. The, if, if the, you just the way up, that it happened. Just yes. the way that it happened in in taking your team for the first time in 20 years right. to the Eastern Conference Finals. Right. I mean, and that that's the that's the crazy part is like how things end up, right? Because right. you saw the press conference. It's still, mm-hmm. there's still memes online of it of people making fun of him. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Be, yeah, exactly. <laughs> making, making fun of him like in his discomfort of, hey, by the way, we shipped you up north to Toronto. Right. And right. and everyone thought that was going to be a train wreck, and then here we are. He's making like literally a franchise historical shot 
for a program he didn't even want to be a part of. Right, right. And, and, and so, it, like, it, it, yeah, like it's, good for him. Like, I don't know if he's a, if he's a jerk or, or what in real life or, or whatnot, but, like, you just making the best of your situation mm-hmm. is, is going to do nothing but help you down the road, it especially needs, for, like, future contracts yep. or anything else. So, like, and, if you don't want to be here long term, that's fine. You helped us get to the first Eastern Conference Finals in 20 years. Right. And, like, and to me, I mean, he's clearly proving that he's – among among the league's elite, I mean, I, I don't think that many people had a, had a doubt about that. Um, but he's well, granted they're, they're, they knew he was elite, but good. does he play well with others? That's that's exactly. what they that's exactly. what they you know you were you were a cog in the machine of the Spurs dynasty at one point, um, and and so he'd never really had the reins of his own team, right? So you know, like, do, do you give him a max contract and be like, right. we're gonna take our chance and you know cross our fingers and hope this works? Um, or, you know, you kind of do the situation he's in right now, which we're watching on screen. I mean, like, he, he's the effective leader of Toronto right now. Like, it, Oh, absolutely. It, it's awesome yes. to watch, and he's obviously Balling. it's working. Yeah, that, that's yeah. the thing. Like, pad to stat right there. Exactly. Um, so, Terry Rozier. Um, so Scary Terry. Yep. I assume you got to see he made his rounds um, on first take, get up, I don't, was he on Sports Center? I don't. He, he was, was on, on all the. He, he was, was on. Also, a, he was making the rounds. He was doing the uh, what, what they call it, the car wash, basically. Yeah. He was. He everything. was all over the place. Um, clearly, a strategic move by his agent, getting him, getting him out there because getting think, him there was the strategic move. Yes. I don't think his agent planned on what. I don't think his agent planned on him kind of throwing there. some shade at, at his teammates. I wasn't just a little um, bit. Oh yeah, yeah, I mean was, he was. It was he, a full on awning, like the. He was just... <laughs> It was, it was deal, a but. no. I liked it. It was it was one of those retractable awnings. Yep. He placed a retractable awning upon the Boston Celtics. Um. But no. Anyways. So Rozier's comments. What do you make of it? Help. Does that help him or hurt him in free agency? Do, does well, that? So, do you think that it painted him in, in, in a negative light? Um. I do. And do and teams care? Yeah. So my first thing, uh, since DJ is not here to uh, to be here to comment with us, I will say. His comment earlier today, I'll sh- I'll share it uh, with the podcast was Let's hear it. basically Rozier smoking moon rocks is, is the way DJ right. put it because right. of his stance on on how he went about doing what he did the last couple of days. Um, did he hurt himself going into free agency? I think so. Uh, just because if you put yourself in the shoes of like NBA management, right? Which, like I said, not the foremost expert by any means on the NBA or anything. But right. if I'm an executive about to drop a ton of cash on somebody. Right, right because he's in a contract year. He's going to get paid by somebody. Right, that's the thing. And, and you had all this leverage because Boston could take you back. And if Kyrie left, then you would be the starting point guard. Right. You know, like they were going to put the ball back in your in your hands effectively if, if Kyrie were to make a move. And In and, and a place you, where he was extremely successful. In a place that people liked him because yes. they remember the – the year mm-hmm. before, when Kyrie was injured, and Terry literally took them like through the playoffs. Terry Rozier is one of the three biggest names in the playoffs last year. Like, hands like it down. was nuts, yeah. It was like an awesome on run. and off the court, his play was indicative of his treatment off the court. Um, I think that the Boston fans are nuts. Number one, um, I think it helps that half of Barstool Sports are huge Boston fans, so they kind of push that agenda a little bit more. They can. Um, and, I, I mean, ESPN pushed that, push that agenda too, though. I mean, everybody was on the Scary Terry train last yeah, year. And, and, I, and I think it tells you my, my fiance's from the Northeast. I've been to a Celtics game, which makes me 
effectively a, a, a Celtics, Celtics fan, homer. lifelong Celtics homer. Lifelong, right. absolutely. Yeah. Um, no, but the last year, literally, like in general, as a Louisville fan, mm-hmm. I don't know how more Louisville fans didn't jump on the NBA bandwagon because in one year you had Scary Terry taking the Celtics through the playoffs right. as their point guard, uh, which you know kind of shocked everybody, even the Celtics fans. And then also you have this emerging superstar. And Donovan Mitchell. And Donovan Mitchell in the same year. And as a local yeah. fan, like that literally has just experienced hell on earth right. from a college basketball scandal perspective. It was such a good I reprieve. never thought I'd take – yeah, I never thought I'd take a reprieve in, in, in NBA because like that right. was never never a big fan. I mean, we all – I think over the last, what, nine years, we've all enjoyed watching LeBron versus whoever in the finals. Like that, yeah, That's I, been I mean, a that, thing that, for yeah. anybody who's a basketball fan. Just but, like who are the Patriots but, probably going to upset this year. Like, right, in, in exactly. The, in the Super Bowl. It's, exactly. it's just kind of for a while, you know, dynasties have their run, and that's just kind of how things are. Right, but it was nice to kind of have your own – um, local flavor flavor, and have multiple kind of rooting interests. It seemed like last year in the postseason, every single night for probably a month, um, there was always a game on with, and Louisville fans always had a rooting interest, even if they didn't have an NBA team. Well, and that's, how awesome was it to, because obviously jazz, like you're not going to pick up those live games unless you want to stay up at like midnight or something for the right, tip-off. Right. But like waking up and half of SportsCenter – Nowadays, especially nowadays during NBA season, is literally just NBA clips. And so yep. you wake up and you're and you're getting dressed for work in the morning and all this stuff. You turn on ESPN and then all of a sudden you just see clips and clips and clips and highlights of Rosier and Donovan Mitchell. Right. And it's so cool to see because it's a little mm-hmm. surreal because it, it's it's not only like you said like a it's two little players obviously but it was two surprises. That happened in the right. season. Right. These, yeah, these like, they weren't guys. supposed to happen. Like, no, Donovan and, Mitchell was supposed to go to the Jazz and be, like, you know, a, an emerging role player. Kind of like what right. Grayson Allen's doing right now. Like, he, going back very and forth similar, between. Very yeah, similar. Yeah, he has a hot night. He's back in the on on the Jazz team. You know, he's a couple off weeks. We're moving you back down to the G League for right. a couple to get some, some exactly. things right. So, that's everyone, like, literally the consensus on how people thought Mitchell would kind of make his entrance to the NBA. No one thought he was going to be a freaking rookie superstar winning the dunk contest having his own shoe after literally just like what two seasons it's, i mean it, it's insane the the trajectory that this kid went on after he left louisville which still should piss off some louisville fans in my mind because i'm like right how limited did you make him in college to like what he is now in the nba like where in, was this kid in mitchell's highlights when he played it yeah like louisville, you saw flashes of it all the it time, was yeah. I mean, his highlight reel level is ridiculous. Yeah. And there were a couple games, more than a couple games, where, um, you know, people talk about Jordan Wara taking over some games this year, but there were a couple games, I don't know if you remember, I think they are playing either Clemson or Syracuse. Um, The Syracuse game. Syracuse home game. The first 10. He scored the first 12 points of the game. Right? Yeah. Yeah, So the the clip I remember, they were at Syracuse. I think it was in a way game from Louisville. All of Syracuse's bench... Like their players left the bench, like slid right. off the seat and like holding opposing, each other back for an opposing player dunk for an alley oop that the other team just did on your home court. Right, right. Like they had, they didn't care one bit who it was from, but that kid reared back and did his one-handed tomahawk. Right, and it was insane. And neither team could hold their composure because, like, I was like, you know, it's a good dunk when the other team is literally like, yeah, we're getting beat, and this is our home court. But right, that was amazing. I think that when Mitchell came to Louisville, um, he was a—I mean, he was a 
I want to say he was in the 60s or 70s in in the recruiting rankings. Like he was seen as a kid that people were like, dude, this guy can leap out of the building. If he gets a shot, he could be legit. Um, but I don't think anybody was like, oh, Donovan Mitchell. Like you know, he was just. But as soon as he came to Louisville, he was kind of like very similar to how Quentin Snyder was, very similar to how like Peyton Siva was. There's just some guys that they just get on campus. I think Samuel Williamson's going to be a little bit like this when he gets here in the in this coming year. Um, there are just some guys that just step foot on campus, and it doesn't feel like they're a freshman. And Donovan Mitchell never felt that way. Um, it was a surprise. It's a surprise to see um, how fast he rose to prominence, but it's not a surprise to see the eye popping plays, to see um, him hitting clutch shot after clutch shot, to see him just like absolutely just tomahawking on some of the best players in the league. Like that's not that's not shocking to me. No, I think um, I think. What was the most, not even the athletic side, like obviously people have seen what he's been able to do in college and the NBA, but I think the most surprising thing for me was like when he was a freshman or sophomore, like I, I finally paid attention to like one of his first like post-game interviews they put on the radio and he sounded like the most composed kid right. I've ever heard. Right. Like after a game. And I mean like he literally like broke down his own game analysis like right. in the locker room like yes. right after it happened and and you turn off the radio, get out of your car, and you're like, holy crap. Like, I just listened to like, Sound an, like eight, an assistant coach. I just or listened to a 19 year old talk about his own. Right. I mean, what is he now? 21? Game. He's like 21. He's yeah. got his own shoes coming out. He's taking pictures with Spider Man. So like, I, when you, when you mean, put the athleticism with just how he carries himself as a mm-hmm. human, I think franchises just salivate over a kid that not only has the athletic ability, but the, but the intelligence. That he has to carry himself. He knows how, he knows how to market himself. He knows I mean, how to talk to the media. He knows how to do good interviews. He knows how to work, not work the community, but he knows how to instantly impact the community. I mean, like right. you get on Utah Twitter, and holy crap, oh what did Donovan gosh. Mitchell do great today? Oh like he gosh. literally is doing everything. Everything. He's, he is a real life superhero right but, now, and he's a genuine. In Salt Lake like, City. and I, I mean, I don't know if you got to experience this at all um, when you're, you know. I mean, we're all kind of in a, a similar age, I guess. But like, I don't know if you got the experience this all when he was at U of L. But I mean, that's just that's just who he is. Like, he's never he hasn't changed. That's the, probably the greatest part about the Donovan Mitchell story is that, and Terry Rozier to extent an extent too, they have never ever ever changed who they are to get where they've gone. Yeah. Um, which is just kind of mind boggling because you see. You know, you see a lot of these guys that come come through Louisville. Like, you know, you don't have to drop any names, but like, just when you, when I say this, I think names come to mind. There's a lot of guys who change their persona. They change um, the way that you know they treat people around them when they become a star. Um, and I don't think the stardom affected those players. I think it just enhanced who they were. Um, yeah, it, it let other people. It shined a light on on their character. It yes. just let every, everybody else see how good of a person they are. I mean, Absolutely. yeah, it's, and I mean, Donovan Mitchell grew up in in uh, what was it, the Mets? He grew up like, yeah, and like his his dad worked for the Mets. Yeah, he grew up right? in a professional yes. organization. I mean, the kid just gets it, like instantly, yes. just gets it. Like, yes, everything He's, about it. He, he was. I mean, he r- truly was intentionally or unintentionally bred to be where he is now. Yeah, I, I um, agree. As weird as it sounds, yeah. I get yep. what you're saying. Um, NBA playoffs. Um, so you said that you're rooting for anybody but the Warriors. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm, I'm jumping on, like, the, the field fan wagon. I just, I, man, like, I, 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 I try not to root for the Warriors. I've been, I've always 
pulled for the Jazz more than any other team way before Mitchell was there. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm I'm actually have a really kind of a rooting interest. I think they're one of the most fun teams to watch now that they're out. I think that the Warriors are hands down the most fun team to watch. Um, I'm not going to say that I'm going to root for them. I think that, like you said, it's always fun to see the the big dog get upset. But at the same time, we're witnessing history. Like you know, there's so much talk about LeBron James um, and how good of a player he is. But Steph Curry and Klay Thompson is the best backcourt in NBA history. I, I don't even th- I don't think it's close. Um, as far as I mean, there there have been some good backcourt tandems, but if you think about number of three pointers made, I, I saw a statistic the other day where I, I believe it was like there was never a backcourt that made more than three hundred three pointers in a season, and they made four hundred this year. What? Like it's just yeah. I mean, they're just like they're not only just breaking records, they're torching records, and, and the consistency at which they do it is just unheard of i mean the, I, to me it's just it's so much fun to watch well and i forgot who made the point i was listening to a few days ago but like it because you always when you when you throw out the whole all-time argument then obviously you have people just coming out of the woodwork trying to fight you on, on certain right. things but what, what this guy said made a lot of sense right and he, he essentially was saying what you're saying in, in, in terms of clay thompson and steph curry are the best backcourt we've seen but he he kind of framed it as for this generation of basketball mm-hmm. because you have to think of it in the sense of where the sport is actually going, which is a way, way more shooting. It's a lot more threes than mm-hmm. it was like in the 90s oh, or yeah. 80s or 70s. So like oh, when yeah. you're talking about all time, there's a different, different game. There's it's different, a different phases. Game. Yeah. Sure, I mean, at one sure. point they didn't even have a three point line. So like, you know, like the whole argument of like, right. they made the most three LeBron right? versus Jordan and Larry Bird right. versus it was magic. A, and yeah, it's yeah. A it's a different way they played the game. And right. so the game is obviously evolving into a lot more of a shoot happy league, oh, especially yeah, on the threes. Yeah. And, and so like, it, it does make sense. Like I, I'm fully on board with you saying they're the best all time, but like, I kind of think of it as like the best all time for this phase of basketball right that makes right sense. like they're the best at what they do during the time they did it i if think that makes sense like what makes me say that even more than just the shooting or um just the ridiculous just absolutely insane plays that that they make is just the consistency yeah I they mean, kept it, it together man like it's, it's if nuts. you look at if you look at kevin durant getting injured people so quickly forgot that um they won Man. championships without him. Well, yes, but um, Demarcus Cousins hasn't played in the playoffs, and yeah. he was a big piece for this team. I mean, they're so basically they're without two starters right now, and they're torching people. Well, and, and that's the thing when you have every position as an all star. I mean, like that. Right, but like, like you know, at least in the short term. Now, I don't think they get to the finals. That's going to be a different story in terms of injuries. But like when when your team is that stacked talent wise mm-hmm. you can afford to have a few injuries early in the playoffs you right, know because I, right. I, I don't know but I, I could be wrong but they might be getting boogie back pretty soon they could they, they may be and they may be getting kd back wait i mean if they get um, both back at the same right, time like that's, yeah, yeah. that's dumb, it's, but. but regardless yes they picked up kd in a monuments mon mon monmouth mon, mon, mon what is it what was the word i'm looking for in in a in a big time blockbuster trade basically, um, monumental, monumental, monumous. Take that word for three hundred, Bob. Yes, <laughs> monumous, 
from the Latin. I don't know what that is. Um, anyways, in a monumental blockbuster trade, they pick up KD. But people so soon forget that they drafted Steph Curry. They drafted Klay Thompson. They drafted Draymond Green. The yeah, pieces that's, that's that they that they they're organic. The worry, right? The Warriors were nothing, and they didn't pick up a bunch of just crazy. You know, they they there weren't a bunch of crazy trades like the Durant trade that made them who they were. They won their first two championships on the backs of Curry, Thompson, Durant, Iggy. Like they've had the same consistent core of players, the same core of talent. Um. For the last five years, um, now they just become even more unstoppable when you add probably the best player in the world at the moment in Kevin Durant. When you add um, Boogie Cousins, you know. But well, that's the crazy part. When you develop your own talent organically, then you have more room for cap space. Right, right. You have more room for mega blockbuster right. trades. But I, I see so much hate towards you know people are acting like it's the Heat where you know they had like the big three and that. I mean that they did win two championships, but that's not necessarily the the Warriors are a perfect example of. I mean, sure, luck played a factor. Um, they took a chance on some of those players. He took so, a kid from Davidson. They took I mean, a kid that, from Washington like, State. I mean, obviously he was like, a super right, talented like, kid from Davidson, but like he came from Davidson. Right. And like people forget like where Steph Curry's like origins lie in, they, and it wasn't like a prominent D one school like Duke or UNC no. or. Nope. anything like that like it, it's it's nuts to think about that this you're talking about identifying talent and flying under the radar like this mm-hmm. kid think about what would have happened to steph curry if if the in the age of like the transfer portal of of right. what it is now like if yeah. if because even as a junior i mean the kid was like just draining threes left and right and and so, unbelievable yeah, so like you know this had you had this kid in this small college that was just lighting it up but they Honestly, they didn't know his game was going to translate. No, they abso- took, absolutely they took not. A huge chance on him, and they took a lot of hate. No, they, but you, they, but you know there was a know. coach that would have snagged him. Oh, to for come sure. to come for to like sure. a Kansas or UNC or right. a Duke or Louisville exactly. or anything like that. Like exactly in the age of yeah, like grad transfers, he would have been probably one of the most coveted. I would think coming out of school, but no, but yeah. It, it is impressive what they've done through like their own version of like the farm system. Right. You and know, I guess I guess my point my point would be Houston made all these trades and put all these pieces together to have this super team. They beat Houston. Um, the Pelicans are making all these we're, we're making these moves and then Cousins ended up, you know, elsewhere. Um, but you you know, the Heat the Heat did it in the past. Um, you know, there there's so many NBA teams that just want to be this big Super team, but in reality, the players that are dominating in the NBA, I mean, Kawhi Leonard played for San Diego. You know, I mean, like, we just talked about Kawhi Leonard for 10 minutes. He played for San Diego. Um, Giannis Antetokounmpo played overseas. You know, some of the biggest name players, like, you know, granted, there is, you know, Zion's coming out of Duke. You have you have a lot of these big name, you know, DeAndre Aiden. Some of these players are playing for the elite level teams, but the NBA right now is being dominated by small level school oh. players coming from small level schools, yeah. three star players. Look at the NFL, four, man. Four, four I mean, I mean right. some of the most notable NFL players, like when they do their. Uh, I always love it when when the players do their live video bios, like right. at the beginning of the game, right. and they're like they always name the college they A came college from. College that you never even heard of. You would look, yeah. If you listen to some of those from some of, even like the the biggest name starters, you're like, where yeah. the hell did you like come from? Like a county state. 
Yeah, just like like, it literally—it makes no sense. You're like, I never knew you went to like a D two school. Like, and then and it doesn't matter once you get to the NFL because it's it's literally just a results driven. Absolutely, and I mean, and that's that's all any of the big leagues are. So, point being, I mean, like you know, even going back to golf, I mean, like like you had you have some of these guys coming from U of L who were who were doing so well on tour, and U of L is not a, I mean, not anywhere close to a perennial power. Um, so I mean, it, 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 across the board in every single professional sport, which is what is so interesting to me, because ninety percent of the talk is about all these big name players coming from Kansas and Arizona and Kentucky and Michigan State, and you know, eighty ninety percent of the time that doesn't pan out because they end up basically at some of these teams like the Cavs, who you see Dan Gilbert's stinking son is up there every single year drafting a new you know lottery pick player, you know. I mean, at some point, you would think that people would wake up and smell the coffee, and really see. To wake up and smell the coffee, or roses. It's, I don't, it's close enough. Why enough. would you wake up and smell roses? Whoever woke up and smelled the roses, smelled the roses. Anyways, it's a Kentucky thing. If you're Michael know. Scott, maybe you want to wake up and smell the bacon. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyways, um, yeah. I mean, you have all these teams that are trying to build all these super teams. They're trying to draft the players that come from X school or Y school, but in reality. Uh, you know, you have the freaking Patriots drafting some little white dude from Colgate every single year and winning championships. So, point being, so much emphasis placed on stuff that's just so irrelevant in, in, in the long run when you're talking about championships and ultimate success. Yeah, I just um, think some of these franchises start to get a little tunnel vision as uh, as like drafts always oh yeah. come about. Like yeah. they just some of them you could tell just buy into the media hype on people they want. Not people they really need in terms of like necessities for their teams, but I mean, and but you hey. look at the you look at the three highest projected lottery picks. The three guys are going go, they're going to go to the top three this year. Zion Williamson, which ob- obvious number one pick, you have to take him, even if he flakes. If you if you're the team that passes on him, he no doesn't do well. If you then, pass on him, you're you're uh, immediately getting fired at right. your position. Right. Like that, even yeah, even if, if he busts, he, it's not going to be your fault. Like, right. no one's going to hate you. Have you have to take him. Yeah, exactly. You have to take him. But if you look at the top three, though, this year, Zion's an exception, obviously, but you had Zion, John Morant, and um, R.J. Barrett. Those are the three most talked about players, but it, it, it's the it's the hype machine that, that's that's basically making them that way is, is, is what I'm saying. More than there's a guy that's going to go at 17 to 25 that could potentially be more impactful than any of those guys. And that's what's... You, I mean... You know, look at if you look at Donovan Mitchell's draft class. Every single person taken before Donovan Mitchell in that draft class, you wouldn't you wouldn't take a single one of those people before Donovan Mitchell now, right? Absolutely. I'm, and I mean, I was a, even a little bit biased during that draft because obviously, but right. But yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so, I, anyways, uh, quick, quick, uh, yes or no? Zion Williamson will he play for New Orleans this year? Ooh, instead of getting traded. Um, if, if he if he does not get traded, he's yeah he's he's right, starting. Right. I, I mean, that's the thing I was gonna tell you that before even Donovan Mitchell uh, and and Terry, the one thing that actually started making me um, follow NBA was not even during the NBA season. I almost enjoy the off season drama the NBA has. Oh yeah, it's gonna be great. Almost more than the actual like. NBA itself, and especially this year, now that you're invested in all these college players and now seeing them with, I mean, 
God forbid that the Knicks didn't get the number one draft pick because right. like now all of New York even though is they had a fourteen percent chance. New York's bad at math. Right. I don't know why all these articles were coming out talking about assuming the Knicks were going to get the number one and pick. And good for them. I mean, if we're being totally honest, if I'm a Knicks fan, I don't want the number one pick because you know what? They they have cleared enough cap space um, so that they can pick up either two superstar players or one superstar player and two really significantly good players. So they could potentially completely remodel their roster. I mean, if you look at the, the odds in Vegas right now, the Knicks are one of the top five favorites to win the NBA championship next year. Which is ridiculous before a trade's even been made. Like, that's right. the thing. All right. these assumptions, and that that's what I love about the NBA offseason, is because all these articles are written, all these hype trains are made about yep. things that have never even happened, and then they probably won't because something will go sideways. Somebody yep. Somebody's trade will fall through. Somebody doesn't have a negotiation that went right money-wise, and then they're on a different team, and then, oh my gosh... Now we start the NBA season with all these people in different places than we thought at first. And that's when I like it. Like I just love seeing teams freak out when right. when their imagination takes a hold and it doesn't go their way. Like there's already posters right. of Zion, Katie, and and Kyrie. In in right. like it's all you look up an, a Knicks article right now and it's literally a a fake, you know, photoshopped yeah, it is big it's, three it's of jerseys. The, it's and the like, biggest sports market in, in, in the country. You have two guys that and, aren't even on that team, and then one has hasn't even entered the NBA yet. Right. Like, like, right. and you're already talking about uh, because of that potential trade impact, they're they're one of the top teams to potentially win the championship next right. year. I just think right. it's ridiculous. Like, there's no. History. However, if you do take a look at, there is potential that they could get like, for example, this is a complete just just. Uh, What's the word? It, it, it's if it's you throw out a super hot NBA take, you might be um, applying to a front office job. I could be. I, mean, I could that, be honestly. That's literally what it is. Like people throw out the most ridiculous stuff, and they're like, actually, you <laughs> well, could probably work in our like, front office. You could you could potentially end up with like, for example, Katie and Kyrie together at, at the Knicks. Uh, I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm just saying two players of that level. They have that amount of cap space. They have the money to pay two guys like that. No, that's so. definitely real. And and I think all the hype is. Because the Knicks have announced, like, we're going to do something significant in the offseason. I mean, and they have to. I mean, and, and, yeah, I mean, like, you have, in, you literally own, you're the most valuable professional basketball franchise in the world. And I don't even, when's the last time they did any, like, I really turned, did anything? I turned like, 26, 26 years old this year. In my lifetime, the most significant games that have been played in Madison Square Garden are Big East Championship games. I mean, there's a there's no <laughs> there's no yeah find crazy find the lie too. I mean, find like, the lie. <laughs> I'm just saying, yeah, like that. I that's mean, my thing. When when your organization is still worth that much money after that, not amount of success, the mm -hmm. past like ten, twenty years, whatever right. that may be, like that's insane. Mm -hmm. Like you're New York is craving. Like that's why I I don't, but I almost felt bad for them. Because like they just needed some <laughs> no, big see, break, and, and they're think, gonna get it either way. But well, here's here's the thing: because now they're gonna end up with two all stars and probably R.J. Barrett. That's not a bad that's not a bad deal. That's almost better than having Zion. It no. really, it, maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. There's a lot of people who have theories that Zion's gonna have a career-ending injury because of the just physics of what his body does. Man, he's gonna sign with New Balance and then last for like four years. <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna wear the old. They're, man. they're gonna craft a shoe for him 
He's gonna wear the dad shoes. Well, they need to craft like some ACL. They're like, if you thought Dan Marino looked comfortable in his Skechers commercial, we can't wait for you to try our shoes. He's the best. He's one of the best players I've ever seen play. I mean, besides LeBron, maybe James Harden, best player I've ever seen play in person. The only injury you had in college was because you busted your own shoe. Right, right. But I, I am concerned if I'm if I'm an NBA front office person. Biggest concern about Zion is he jumps freaking 50 inches and he weighs 290 pounds. Like, yeah, he should have had He nice. literally is the size of my refrigerator and he can get his head almost to the top of the backboard. Like, it's not... It doesn't... If there's one coaching thing I've done during the Louisville-Duke meltdown, it literally would have been pump fake the crap out of, like, anyone in front of Zion Williamson with the ball. Just pump fake it. And just go under his He legs. goes five feet into the air. Yeah. Literally can't do anything at that point because right. you're in the middle of the air, and then just jump into him. Yeah. Just I mean, I, like literally, just jump. I and mean, he was playing with four fouls for twelve minutes. Right? So. Like, how do you not go after that kid with mm, that mm. much? Like, it's almost a blessing and a curse in itself I'm, that he can jump that high because, like, once you're up there, he's like, crap, I'm gonna totally foul this person because I can't come back down now. Like, right? I, I can't because I weigh three thousand pounds. I'm up thirty feet in the air, and I don't know where I'm gonna land. So. The the Jumbotron could fall from the ceiling and do less. Yeah, damage. it's nuts. Like yeah. I, I was in like a section three hundred seat for that game, and even I could see from there like how high he's he so was. Ex- like he's he's, he's, he's insane. He's stupid. Anyways, I'm gonna go home and cry about that game later, just because I reminded most, myself. Most recent news that you kind of brought to light to me this evening on uh, the Jordan Wara. Yeah, speaking um, of NBA saga, draft, yeah, um, Jordan Wara. Reportedly, plans on sitting out the five-on-fives. Um, so basically, for anybody that doesn't know how the NBA draft combine works, so War is at the combine right now as, as we re- record. He plans on doing all of the workouts um, aside from practicing five-on-five. Traditionally, um, the players who don't participate on the five-on-fives are because they have the most to lose injury-wise. To me, looking at it as an outsider um, who doesn't know what the front offices are thinking, who doesn't know um, who he's in talks with, um, to me it seems like Wara is not one of those guys who can afford to not have eyes on him. Um, yeah. So to you, I, I to, see it both ways. Yeah. I, I think it, it's either it's one extreme or the other. Either Wara is trying. Either Wara knows that. Parts of his game are going to get exposed on the five-on-five. He doesn't want to participate. Or he has some teams in his ear saying, hey, we want to draft you, but we don't. We cannot afford to draft somebody who gets injured. Um, what seems more likely to you? So it, you could see it half empty or half full, really. Sure. I, I kind of think of it in, in terms of like uh, like the NFL combine, right? You know you got a guy in in Lamar Jackson who says he's a quarterback, has played quarterback in college, Mm -hmm. put up phenomenal historical stats as a QB in college. We're going to ask you to do wide receiver drills. (laughs) Right. I I don't want to do wide receiver drills. Well, we're going to ask you that anyways, and, you know, I'm going to say no. I'm not going to do that. Right. I'm also not going to run the 40. Right. Because, hey, I know I'm going to get drafted. I, I don't have to do some of the drills that you guys want. Adversely, a kid like Stephen Enoch, um, you know, who's just 
literally fighting and clawing for every chance to get right, looked at right, and worked right. out by an NBA team, of course you're going to participate in every single drill available to you because, like you said, you want as many eyeballs on, Absolutely. on your Any talent Any chance to make an impact. What's the worst that can happen? He's going to not get drafted? Like Right. And, and, and the other thing I, th- I thought about as well, though, it, is that it's not like – uh, like the New York Giants GM to where he saw Daniel Jones for three series and then was like, I'm going to pull the trigger on you as a first-round pick. Right. A lot of GMs don't do that. No, um, no. A lot of NBA franchises don't do that. So, like, you know, obviously it's it's not going to be the, the NBA Combine is not just going to be the make-or-break moment because they've, no. they've studied you. If they're going to take a well, chance on you... Yes. Because yes. there's only two rounds, right? Yes. I mean, there's only... Two rounds in the NBA draft, so like you basically get two chances. They do their homework. Yes, like it's not just going to be we saw this kid at the combine and decided it's, we liked him. They already know everything about you. They yes. they know your strengths. They know your weaknesses. They, they know, know your, your average number. Yes, they know. Yeah, it all. they they yes. literally know everything. Um, and so if you think about from that aspect, if he doesn't participate in a five on five drill, yeah, my first instinct is to think there's definitely something more to that in terms of. You know, you're you're trying to prevent an injury. If you're going to try to prevent an injury, that means obviously you think you have a great chance at going in the first or second round. Right. But like you said, um, you know whether it whether it's a I don't want to play five on five because you know maybe I don't want them to see something. But in my mind, they've already seen everything. Like if you're right. not great on defense, if you can't get back all the time, if you make sloppy passes, if you yep. have bad ball control, if you get a ton of turnovers. Which we've all seen at times, you know, sure. he kind of has some of those issues. Yep, they're already going to know that going into it, yep. and 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 that way, you know, so they're probably saying, "Hey, you know, we think you're going to be, you know, maybe mid second round or something, and and you might get an optional contract where you're going to be on on the actual team, and you're also going to probably go to the G League sometimes right. if you need some." And some, if some he work. does get drafted, that seems like the most likely option. Right, exactly, kind of like a. I think it was like a Dangadale situation. Exactly. Yeah, and then yes. eventually you get your time in the spotlight and try to make your make your name. But I think it I think it's a toss up now. And if you, despite what ninety nine percent of U of L fans think, apparently once he hired an agent, which I'm glad. Apparently, now. no one still knows the updated rules now because the NCAA just changes crap whenever right. they feel like it. They're like, actually, you can hire an agent, and it's it's still legal. Yeah, right, but then you right. just gotta fire him. Right before right, you come yeah, back to school, because yeah. that's totally normal. That's fine. Yeah. Um. So you you think about all these aspects now, and, and the, not only the way like you have to go about doing the combine with an agent, without an agent, like. Sure. I think personally, he he's probably he went into it with open expectations, as in if I get shut down, I'll come back, no big deal. Right. I think he's getting a little more love than he might have thought originally. I agree. And so now he wants to take every precaution available to probably secure his spot in the draft. Now, I agree with you in the fact that I think he should still participate in five on five drills because I think he still has something he needs to show. Because I agree. If you can't you can't just hope on a on a whim that you're going to make it in the second round. You have to if if you're not going to come back to school, you better know for sure because there's what two hundred and I forgot what the what the number was. There's like 280, 290 people that declared for the draft. It's it's a lot. It's a it's, lot, and it's only a few a get hefty picked. Hefty number, right? Yes, and only a fraction of those kids but get picked and then can't come back to school. As as Jacob kind of wrote about, 
um, on Big Red Louie last week. Um, the biggest, the most important thing for Wara was getting invited. I think once he got invited, if you look at the statistics going back like the last two years, last five years, the players who get invited to the draft, 90% of the time they get drafted. Or excuse me, excuse me, to the combine, 90% of the time they get drafted. Um, so him getting invited is a huge factor. Yeah. Um, I also and, think his experience outside of playing absolutely help. like his, his has, time playing he has uh, professional experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Playing like and, world ball, and he did. And he did by all accounts. He was incredible. You know, for a, for the Nigerian national team. So right. um, he was like their late. He I was, think he was like I their leading. Believe their, scorer, he was yeah. leading or second leading scorer. Yeah. Um, prolific shooter. Um, and, yeah, and that was something really more, fun to follow in the summertime when that basketball is was much more to me indicative of how his game translates to the NBA than than what college is. College is pack it in, you know, sit in the lane all you want, um, not very much freedom of motion. Um, there's not the college rules are so much different for a player like Wara um, than you know, say like a Peyton Seaver or somebody, somebody like that, or like a like a post up center, like a Stephen right. Enoch or something like that. Well, you also um, got to think like there's just less. Well, I hate being one of those like super general people, but like it just seems like there's less defense in in the in NBA. the NBA. Uh, you know, I mean, like I there there is, but there's not. Like it's for I like certain just, positions, I feel like like during the regulars during the regular season, I agree. With Enoch, it's um, way more of a concern because if you're a center and yes, you get. You know, hey, like, but he didn't like being in the lane, and in the NBA, he can't be in the lane. So, yeah, you know, I it, mean, that's a decent point as well. I'm on the pessimistic side of things right now, thinking that neither will come back. Uh, right, just, I, for, di- just for different reasons. Question. I, I right. think because Norwa, Wara, Wara, just pretend me. the end's not there. Yeah, I know. I think with Wara, I, I think he has a legitimate chance to get drafted in the second round. Agreed. Uh, re- realistically, I think with Enoch, he just doesn't want to do he just doesn't want to come back he doesn't want to do the college part of college basketball anymore which which, oh absolutely which which makes sense to me like even people i hate when people are like he still needs to improve his game he still needs to prove aspects of this aspect you can still improve your game while you're getting paid to play that game like you can go to like you said like you can literally go to an australian league euro league china league i mean there's so many different yep international there's a difference between Russ Smith going to China than Stephen Enoch. Stephen Enoch, you look at Stephen Enoch, you're like, holy cow! Is he that guy physically start for the needs to like, be in the NBA? Right, right. Stephen Enoch's game is not caught up to his body. Right. So it's a, yeah, with him, it's literally a matter of when, not if. Right. In, in terms of making so it, would it be nice for him to come back and and try to perfect that at Louisville? Absolutely. Sure. I mean, like, absolutely. Uh, who? Which assistant coach uh, is on Louisville right now that has? Mike is it Mike Pegues? Yeah, who like specifically crafts big men. Yes, I mean like the the dude from whatever. And even Mike, though, I th- Mike Pegues, I think yeah. that's how you say his last name. I'm not even gonna attempt it because I already messed up Wara. So, um, but <laughs> he like what you've seen with he's already done with Enoch. I mm-hmm. mean, because I watched some of his tape when he was at at, at UConn, and I mean, oh my it's god, it's atrocious. Like, I was it's. Yeah. I was not excited. I was by not. Means, I was not high on Enoch. Coming I was like, we're gonna season. this kid's gonna sit a year just to basically sit the bench again. Um, but right. then, right? But then, yeah, like you get a person that actually knows how to develop that specific position, and then you just see like 
flashes of him that were amazing. Dude, unreal. Like, I've never been so frustrated like on a, a roller coaster with a player than him this season because like he has these monster highlights when he wants to and he can play defense amazingly when he wants to. But then next three trips down the court, he is confused on defense, gets backdoored like eight times in a row like with layups yeah, and dunks. Right. And I mean like he's all out of position. And then to, you're, like, me, to me, it's tough watching a big like him in the modern college game because I felt the same way about Shinana Anawaku who, whose game is very similar. Um, I think that... Shout that, out to the granny rule. Yep, that's right. Shout out to the grannies out there. Um, I... I think that their games were very are very similar. I think that they were equally frustrating in college in that there's just so much you can see how much potential they have. Their game is just not caught up to where they're supposed to be. And I think that bigs develop it takes them the longest to develop. I mean some of these guys that Louisville's in on for the two thousand twenty class, which is a whole different conversation in itself, but they're in they have offered four guys in the top ten of the twenty twenty class and you look at their highlight tapes and it's like almost comical like some of these kids you can tell like last year they were like six five six six they're still trying to figure out what to do with their seven three wingspans and try to figure out how to put the ball on the floor when they're you know when they can like almost dunk standing up you know so there's there's more of a you know if you grow up in a six one body you are going to be able to develop and craft your game earlier whereas if you grow into Stephen enoch's body who you freaking look like thor like it, it's going to take you a little bit longer to kind of um, figure out how to play through contact, figure out how to get big in the paint. Whereas, you know, like you, you see him and, and Williams all year this year, wanting to float out to the three point line, kind of being lack, lackadaisical on defense. Like and there's the fact he can shoot a three ball. That's just even decently, ooh. just even, he was the highest. I mean, granted, he probably didn't even qualify for the statistic, but he was the highest shooting three point, <laughs> highest percentage three point shooter on the team. I believe. I, I mean, I had lower level seats to the Louisville Michigan State game. Um, shout out to my buddy Trash Smith. Thanks for the free ticket. Um, we had great seats, and there were some Michigan State fans right behind us. And I immediately heard them when Enoch got on the floor, and they were like, "Damn, that is a big center!" And right. the first thing Enoch did was pull up to the top of the key and just and drain, just drain a, three. a three. Yep. And we looked back at him, and we're like. And he, he can shoot the breeze, right? And they're like, "Oh my god, okay, right." So, like, I mean, this isn't good. And I was like, "Yeah, like he's he's a, he's versatile when he wants to be." But but to your point, I think Mac in in the assistant coaches like not only coaching wise, they had to mentally make him realize you're you don't seven you don't know tall. what you're capable of. Right. Like you like you're saying, not only just growing into your body, but like mentally understanding what you can physically do. Like Mac's whole position Mac. on him last season was like trying to get him to just impose his will because when he could do it and you saw you saw the moments when Enoch knew he could do it and he would just bully people left and, and, and right he and has, it was ridiculous he has the post moves too he has the touch on his free throws his jump shot outside jumper I mean, like, yeah. is pure man yeah, he's it's a smooth stroke he, he's 611 7 feet tall 200 and what 60 70 pounds i mean he, he's a he gunter brewer certified freak yes he's a certified freak Brewer, freak time. Hunter, Hunter Brewer certified. Hunter or Gunter Brewer. Gee, Gunter. I can't. I can't talk tonight. Apparently, so uh, we're gonna have to end this thing soon. Apparently, um, but yeah, certified freak. Absolutely built like almost like Dwight Howard. I, I think I, I. It's hard to compare anybody to Dwight yeah. Howard, but and I, that's and who. That's who he immediately reminds you of. Yeah, and I and I do think honestly, if we lose Enoch, it's it's gonna it's gonna be the negative for Louisville basketball next year is definitely gonna be the depth. 
at, at that position because right. as much Paul. as everyone is on the a gay Han hype train, the kid needs some backup in terms of he a, does. A, a, a center that has been under Max's system that knows how he operates because like a four and one system that Mac does, like you need a competent center to run that offense. Right. And so like, yeah, he, he's got the physical aspects of it, but like that's going to be tough to pick up a whole new offense in oh, a yeah. D one power five conference, especially yeah. in the ACC. Like it, it's just a lot to ask of any kid. It's, I mean, um, he very much, you know, the hair thing will get people going. The monstrous dunks and the, the comparisons with the overall attitude. Oh, everyone's everyone's ready for like another Montrez for sure. Right. But you look at Trez, and I mean, obviously his freshman year was the national championship season. He really didn't come on until literally in the postseason. Yeah. I mean, he had granted he had good games. I don't think people realize looking back, he actually started a few games that year. Um, he had significant playing time during the during during the regular season, but really he didn't have any memorable games, any memorable moments until. Really like that Syracuse Big East Championship game. Well, I think and Trez just realizes like, oh my gosh, if I just have a motor and play a hundred percent, hundred and ten percent every possession, he's like, I can just outwork people. Like it's fine. And now right. you see him on the Clippers, and that's everything. Half the NBA is just guys standing around watching the guy with the ball like and do that's, something. That's what and, they've done with the rules. You know, you have to you have to go quick. You have to shoot fast. You can't be in the lane. You can't do this. Can't do that. There's so many rules that are so basically like turning it into almost like a one-on-one, two-on-two type of game to like spread, just right. spreading the court but out. It, but it's almost like Montrez went to his coach before the season. He's like, if you just give me the pick and roll every time, I will slam it in someone's face. Or, or a pick and pop because now yeah, he's I mean, got that. And that's that's where Igehan's game, to me, is a little bit ahead of Trez is Trez was shooting bricks as freshman year. Like he was yeah. – he was dunking or going in for an aggressive layup or rebound. There's a classic big man it. Louisville conundrum where you make one, so you right. have to shoot ten more yes. in a row. Like yep. that's just a scientific fact for right. Louisville big man is you know we get that instant confidence boost and we think now we're like every other position you have shooting to, threes. That is known as the Terrence Jennings charge up. I like Terrence that. Jennings had to get a dunk for every five minutes played, or else you just might as well take him out. Yeah, had to get had to get a wide open dunk. You know, get the knees up by the rim type of dunk. You know, absolutely. Now I do um, think, like talking about if we lose Enoch, if we lose Nora, I, th- I think it's not only are you losing like your your top score, obviously, but uh, I I think there's a little more intangibles when you lose him on a team with with six freshmen coming in, mm-hmm. uh, just because you're talking about a guy that was clearly going to be one of the team leaders um, who could help assist um, the new guys into Max into Max system, like. That that's the thing that people don't understand is like when you have older players, not only are obviously you want seniority on your team, but they're the ones that get looked up to on how do we practice every day? What's our daily routine look like? How like what's right. the effort level like? Right. How hard are we gonna go in the weight room that day? Like mm-hmm. when Mac teaches the initial group, this is how you bring it every day. Then it's on that group of guys the team right. to show the younger ones this right. is how we do it every day and that's eventually how a culture is built that's what Satterfield's trying to do on the football team is we gotta you know it's super super hard pulling teeth and, and showing the current team like this is the new regime this is the way we do things but once you learn how to do it as a routine and you like it and you love it mm-hmm. they're gonna have no problem passing that down sure and so I, yep. I think not only are you losing a top score you're losing a leader 
and, yep. and someone that could have really helped shorten the learning curve yes. for, for these young guys. Yep. And it helps with the, just the overall competition, too. I'll, I'll, I'll say that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you alluded to this. I 100% agree with you. To me, I would be shocked if either Enoch or War returns at this point. I, I think we're about... Yeah. We're realistically, out, yeah. realistically seven to fourteen days away from really finding out who's staying, who's going, and then from there trying to just figure out where to go next. What what pieces are going to fall into place? Are Obviously, we going to get another grad transfer? Right, exactly where I was going. We're not taking this, another so. freshman. He already announced right. that. But right. you lose Enoch, you you need another big man. For sure, in, in my mind. And, I mean, like right. I'm not going to pay you need, four to five million a year, but you know. right. In my mind, I think it just changes. Losing Enoch changes the way that that the starting lineup would be set up next year. I think that there was a lot of talk about potentially playing Williams and Enoch at the same time. I think that's really intriguing because I think that Mike Williams is a true four. Um, yeah. I, I do. I, he he's a four in a five man's body. Um, that's the thing. He doesn't. You could tell the games. He just was not comfortable wanting to bang down low. Absolutely. At all, like, Absolutely. And, and that is a Gahan has said that day in day. I love getting rebounds. I love shoving people around. I love banging with the other big guys down there. And that's somebody you need because, like, if you don't have that mentality, like Malik didn't, yeah, your rebounds improved, which they did. Um, but you could just tell, like, half the time he was getting bullied. Like, he just didn't want to be down low. Like, he much rather shoot right. threes on the wing oh, or yeah. And he does jumpers. it well. He he does yeah, it well. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. But like at the same time, when you're like, you're there's sweet. games where we didn't need him to you be have a, that right. outside shooter. You have we a needed him to five wingspan, get a rebound. We need you to be the big guy underneath rebounding. Yeah, just don't and he, just, he just didn't want to get hit. You know, right. like and it. I, right. I get it. Like it, but like you said, like he went. He wanted to play a different position, really. But. So so let's assume, um, let's assume Enoch and Warrick don't return. Um, so you're looking at basically. Losing more than half your team from last year, um, but basically the, the the players that are going to be playing the most next year could honestly be newcomers. I think that I think Fresh yeah. Kimball has a very very real chance of starting. I think Samuel Williams has a very very real chance of starting. I think David Johnson has a very very real chance of playing significant minutes. Same with Aiden Gahan. Right. Um, where do they look next? Do you think that? In my opinion, I'll start out saying this. I think that there are some good things that can be taken to this out of this, and that I think there's still NCAA infractions yet to be levied. I think that the only logical thing for the NCAA to do at this point, they've already said they're not going to do the death penalty. There's already been a lot of um, a lot of talks about them, you know, what 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 would the punishments look like? And I think that the most logical thing is uh, another scholarship reduction. I think Maybe. if there's a loss of scholarship, I think this is where they could potentially prepare to take that hit. Yeah. Um, but they will have two open scholarships. And not only this, they lost every single walk-on this year as well. Um, you know, all, all of the guys that, granted, I don't envision any walk-ons playing next year. Um, however... There's no, still you, a lot of pieces to be added to this team. There's potentially still five guys that could still add. Yeah, like, you need some competitive practice people. Absolutely, and, and, absolutely. And that 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 are aware they're competitive sure. practice people. Yes. But like they, they understand, you know, like that that's what a, a right. I mean, does but I mean a David Levich can 
pay huge dividends. I mean, my man was a, a walk-on for three years and, and was a serious contributor on, on a team his senior year. I, mean, I don't think Louisville's going to find a better handicapper on the Absolutely not. I think, I think he's the, the Paddock, best. Shout out at Paddock Prince, winning me some money on uh, on Thurby and, and, and um, Derby for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's still a long way to go here. Right, they definitely have options. And I, and I think he's comfortable burning a scholarship uh, for that, just because I, I think they have a couple more to go over the next couple of years. There's, uh, but there's there's a lot of different ways to do it, and I think he, he, he kind of said that too. He's like, honestly, he's like, we don't have a plan for it. We're just going to feel it out on our mm-hmm. needs. And if our needs are met that season and we have an extra, then okay, we'll sacrifice it. Right. If not, we'll use it and then just kind of bite the bullet the next year, which which makes sense. But uh, to your point, I mean, I, I do think they need more depth they, for sure at, at a few different positions, center being one of them, definitely. Right, right. Um, and this is also like when you think back, I know we kind of talked about it um, a few days ago, but like Lance Thomas would have been – a perfect person to not walk away to be on right, this team right, right now. Yeah. Like, you know, like you start sure. thinking about it to a few of the people that, that transferred and stuff. And you're like, God, we really could have used him this year. Absolutely. In, in certain instances. And, and this is one of them. Uh, but yeah, I think it's also exciting because yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty still, but you also know we're bringing in a top 10 class. And, and with that comes a lot of good young talent. And a lot of those yes. guys aren't going to be one and done. I, I still believe, besides Samuel uh, Williamson, I, I I don't think a Gahan's going to be a one and done. Nope. I don't think, for sure, you know, like the Jalen Withers and and uh, I think who's the one that's not even playing this year? He's going to take uh, well, a trip. So and and that that was going to be kind of the next thing that I brought up. Quinn Slazinski. Slazinski. So Quinn yeah. Quinn Slazinski is a, is a young dude. I don't know exactly yeah. how old he is, but I believe he's still seventeen. Yeah, super young. The intention in him reclassifying from the twenty twenty class to two thousand nineteen was to get him in and make him really the truly first guy who Mac could just get in his system that just seems like just the absolute perfect fit for what Mac is looking for. What's he and gonna then, be like his junior and senior year? Like it's that's gonna be what I'm wondering. Like well, he's definitely gonna be a four year kid. But like you're saying, like Mac See, and, has, and I, well, I brought this up on, on the last the podcast too, correct. and I got super shot down by Jacob and by I don't mean I think it was Jacob and Ethan. I said something along the lines of Quinn Slazinski coming out and just lighting the world on fire if he redshirts th- this coming year in 2020, 2021, um, and they kind of shot that down. Said they think he's more of a four-year player, um, but in all seriousness, um, we we went through and kind of compared. Um, the incoming class to former Louisville players, right. and I compared him to Jared Swapshire. Um, but to me, his ceiling is infinitely higher than Swapshire's, and so his I stroke, think man, he's the kid's got he a sh- has a pure stroke, yeah, and he's he not shoot it. like he doesn't maybe doesn't look it when he's playing on the AAU circuits, but he's a big dude. Like yeah. he's he's wore his size or bigger. Um, and he has he has a bigger build. Uh, he has the build of a four, so he could very much be a stretch the floor three or four um, this year. I mean, in, in if you lose War, if you lose Enoch, he could all of a sudden become a guy who can be productive this year. Um, I think another guy that in, again we came out with the rankings. I think that that ultimately the most likely scenario is that Withers. And Slazinski are the least productive players in this incoming class because of what the needs are. Well, and, and it makes sense too, just from a purely like, like physical perspective. Yes, I think those are the two kids that, 
and, and I mean, Nickelberry, you know, I think he's going to get good playing time as well. Sure. Because, I mean, I don't understand how that kid keeps continuing to fall in the rankings when you're North Carolina's third most scorer in the history of Ever. high school basketball. Ever. And there's yes. been some kids that have come out of North Carolina. couple. Just a couple. Um, so when you have a stat like that already coming out of high school as an accolade, I mean, like, I, I just don't understand... And you always you keep hearing like he played out of position for a few weeks on one of the AAU teams last summer or whatever. Right, but right. It's, it's ridiculous. And I th- I think Mac and his staff, especially Luke Murray, which I'm glad he's still on staff, uh, still coming in this yeah, year. Yeah, shout out Luke Murray. Hell of a recruiter. I mean, like just ranked they, the second best in the country, right? Yeah, I mean, sports. you're talking yeah. about eagle eye and talent left yes. and right. Like they know what they're doing. They know the kind of players Absolutely. that fit their system, right. and I, that's why. When people are like, why is Slizinski going to sit out of here and stuff like that? I think Mac knows system-wise he's a perfect fit. I think he knows because, if you think about it, he brought in his own strength coach. And he wants these kids to bulk up to the point of where like, you can take in a hardcore ACC schedule and still be ready to play in the postseason. Absolutely, yeah. And I know Patino had the opposite uh, thought to where, here's a treadmill, you guys are going to run 10,000 right. miles a day for practice. And right. we, it worked. We outran so many different good teams towards the end of those games to where we would just wear them down. It but, was honestly more, even more than a condition thing. It was a physical toughness. I think that, and you hear some of these guys that are on the radio all the time, like Perrin Johnson, like uh, Luke Hancock, like Stephen Van Trees, all these guys who were constantly um, talking about kind of the olden days with, with Patino. Um, I mean, it just sounded like every single, I mean, like you could, freaking like set a screen the wrong way and he's like just get on the treadmill and then he forgets about you for two hours like it's just a mental toughness thing and i I think that mac is more focused on like just know your stuff and let's be physically tough like let's you know let's get out there like when, when you think about mental toughness it's a completely different approach because you have guys basically coming in and you're trying to outsmart you whereas Chris Mack is just going to have guys that are just going out there playing loose with no thoughts. With there's not really a thought process, and I think that's well. And and, and Dwayne Sutton was a perfect example of that's the kind of dude he he's he's literally he's got the muscle to endure like the physical games. Certainly, you're like he he, you're right. He turns his mind off to where Mm -hmm. like all he's I'm going for this rebound. I'm going for this drill. Like he just goes for it all game long. Just laying his body out left and right. Yep. And I do think uh, I th- I think one of us uh, somebody made a good point at dinner the other week that uh that if you think about Chris Mack's history as a coach, he had to play against all these Bobby Huggins Cincinnati teams that literally as a kid growing up I thought came straight out of prison from how big and right. tough they looked. Right. I mean, some of Bobby Huggins Cincinnati teams just. Uh, they had the bodies of like monsters, right? So, like forty-year-old right. dudes yes. walking on the court, and you're Nasty. like, okay, so like our eighteen and nineteen-year-old kids have to play this team. And Cincinnati, you know, talent-wise, might not have been the best, but they sure as hell were going to out physical everything about you, right? Uh, and I think, I think some of that rubbed off on Mac to where he's like, you know what? He's Absolutely. like, sometimes it's not even about schemes and it's about systems, but it's about how just physically dominant can you you know, be more than your opponent. So I, I definitely think right. those Cincinnati rivalry games when he was a younger coach definitely had to have some effect on on his thought process. I mean, you got the best strength coach in basketball from uh, from West Virginia, which right. who's their West, who was West Virginia's coach uh, that moved on from Cincinnati? Um, 
So, Bob, Bob Huggins. Exactly. Okay. So basically, y- you take the guy who was known for building freaks on, on basketball teams, muscle wise. Right. And and that's why when the first, if if you remember it, uh, when Mac first got on campus that first summer, or literally last summer, um, the videos of like the players without their shirts on, showing like the before and after photos yeah. of. of they some of them you could tell they were excited they're like holy crap we're actually lifting weights we see right. visible change in in our definitions and our tone and, and muscles and that made them excited which made the fans excited we're like holy crap right. like ryan right. mcmahon actually has like, like biceps that's weird so like you <laughs> ryan see McMahon stuff, out here breaking hearts on twitter right like you see stuff like that you're like okay so we're not going to be pushed around and chris max like damn right like that's what my teams are going to be right. known for is not right. getting pushed around and and i like that aspect of it it's not just running you know, right. it's, it's something a little bit more like we want to have an edge and that edge is going to be we're going to rebound you guys all day long yep. through toughness. To you, what's the biggest need? Like say that the coaching staff has one more grad transfer scholarship to give. What what kind of player are you looking for? Are you looking for a specific position? Are you looking for a specific mentality, experience? Um, what are What are we looking at? Um, because I look at um, some of the some of the potential graduate transfers, the obvious one that sticks out like a sore thumb to me is Kerry Blackshear. Um, I think that can you, can you name his position? Kerry Blackshear. He was a power forward slash center for Virginia Tech last year. Um, he went toe to toe with Zion, and um, I cannot think of the center's name for Duke last year. Um, no, but I like Virginia. Tech's anyways, team anyways, last year, yes. Yeah. Um, he was very much a spread the floor center. He's a guy that can shoot it from all over the place. He was clearly their their veteran leader, scorer, right. go to guy. Kentucky is hot on his heels, trying you know because that's Calipari's new thing. Is he's now going after all the big time graduate transfers. He is more than the Reed Travis of this year. He's he's better than that. Um, to me. Sticks out like a sore thumb. Like if you lose Stephen Enoch, which, like we said, we both agree, we just don't envision Enoch or, or Wara coming back. To me, Kerry Blackshear sticks out as a guy that you're dumb if you don't go after him. Yeah. And I think that, it, granted, he still has a decision to be made. Um, if you're not aware about Blackshear's situation, he's projected as a late first round, early second round pick. If he were to go into the draft this year, still a lot to be kind of worked out. Um, as far as that situation goes, but should he return, every single big name school in the country is going to be after Blackshear. Every every one of them, and w- they'd be dumb not to be. Right, and I was going to take some like soft answer and and kind of go like, well, you know, like obviously if we need some some depth down in the post and stuff. Right, and also. I do think when you can find a grad transfer that has leadership qualities, that's always a plus because especially right. with, when you have this many young kids come in, it's not, it does nothing but help. I was thinking that before we got Fresh Kimball, right? And mm-hmm. if you have not listened to any of his interviews after he committed to Louisville, I suggest that you listen to even a little bit of the excerpts that he's had on his comments on why he, why he chose Louisville. This dude is a straight up 100% leader of of teams uh, and he he's not afraid to to talk about it like he he no. has 
an exuberant amount of self-confidence in himself, which he's, is He's which been a is captain awesome. since he was, like, six. Like, yeah, he's that's always a, the, the kid was born with a C on, yes. on the corner of his jersey. Yes. Like, it's insane. And so once I, I started reading it, reading up on him and, and even listening to him, like, the, the confidence this kid exudes that I'm, I'm the leader, I'm the grad transfer that you want because I will literally take you guys wherever you want to go. And he wasn't even on – if you go back and read what – I mean, like, Jacob and I – do an absurd amount of digging. He wasn't even on our radar. Right. And no, Mac yeah. Mac was like, Nope, this is our guy. Like we watched him play and then all of a sudden you go and look at his highlights and you're like, where the heck did this dude come from? This dude's a freak. Like he's just, like and I'm not gonna try to oversell Fresh Kimball. Like there is there's a reason that he played it at St. Joe's in college. There's a reason that he's less less known about. But he also has NCAA tournament experience. He also um is He's basically what Kristen Cunningham was, um, but potentially with with a better skill set. Right, and, exactly. and that once you once more than one person said that, I think uh, that does nothing but you know make Louisville fans a little more optimistic. Right. Just because like everyone loved what CC did for Louisville basketball last year, I think if we didn't have him, we probably wouldn't even be talking about. Even no. making the tournament, probably. Right. Or half the upsets that we had last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, just the assist alone, like, that shows you even just one aspect of a, of a true po- point guard, what he can bring to a team. So you bring in somebody like Fresh Kimball that not only can assist, make those assists every game, but also he has a great jumper. Yeah, he I mean... He has a great jumper. And I know sometimes CC tried to force shots he shouldn't have and, and tried to score points he shouldn't have. He was um, consistent, though, man. I mean, he... he but, yeah, he, you... You go take a look. You go take a look at some of uh, Fresh Kimball's games and, and and the way his style of play. Like he is, it's yes. weird because he's a point guard, but he's also like a brawler. I mean, like the dude is, is not afraid to like drive in the lane, get fouled no. eight times in a row, and still somehow, yep. like Quentin Snyder or like Russ Smith, like still somehow get the layup just up right. and one. And and half the time he's the crafty. Game. Yeah, exactly. It, it, he's it, kind of he uh, he kind of he's kind of like a what you describe in, in football is like an all-purpose back. Like, he, he's he got quickness. He's got a good first step. Um, he's aggressive. He can take hits. Um, he kind of, he does a little bit of everything. So that's what that's what excites you about it. But I think maybe even more, more so than anything, he is an adequate replacement for Kristen Cunningham. And that's... Right. And I think after last season, everyone's fully on board with a grad transfer absolutely point guard until we have a consistent solidified one which you know no no shot on perry or anything like that but i mean i think he should even be relieved because perry knows he's going to get the minutes that's not that's not the issue but like right. when he's on the bench who's going to effectively right. control the basketball control the offense and you don't want to put that especially if it's a close game you don't want to put that in the hands of david johnson because that's a lot to ask for in sure. a freshman sure you know like you want him to learn you want him to develop but, and, you know, he, he is going to get some solid minutes too, but, like, it just can't be Perry and a freshman David Johnson. You know, like, it, no, or, th- th- there has to be someone that can effectively lead right. the offense uh, and then take a break, and then Perry can, you know, sub in and, and keep it running. So, I mean, like, I, I think uh, a lot of fans didn't realize, like, what a point guard, what a true point guard could do for the mm-hmm. team until right. they saw CC in action. And then they were like, yeah, we're all for you going after point guards every year. 
I'm not sure if, if Louisville makes the tournament this year without Cunningham. Obviously, no, they're they're I, I completely don't. there's completely di- different dynamic to the team. I think you see Darius Perry would be forced more into a leadership role than he actually took this year. But then you see, a I shut- think you have to you have to play VJ King more, like you just right. have to. But especially at the point guard, like whoever's controlling ball, like we shut down half the time. Like when CC wasn't on the court controlling the offense, like there's no we were lost. There was a lot of turnovers. And we barely made it past half court, uh, you know, the last final stretch of the season yes. when teams finally figured out, oh, my God, if we press these guys, they're not going to really know what to do. And that was always a concern. And so you Sorry. want ball handlers on your team, as many as you can get. Right. Um, let's kind of transfer a little bit, kind of speaking of um, transfer portals. There's been a lot of talk especially today um this week about about what the transfer portal looks like in football um is it purple is it blue is it i I don't know what color it is i don't know where it is louisville football still has 11 guys in the transfer portal as of as we sit here right now yeah who have a decision to make because they're not getting clearly they're not getting lots of love because there's a lot of these guys you got like um, Alan Love, you have um, Colin Wilson. Yeah. You have I'm trying to think. There's a, there's a couple other big names. Um, Marcus Riley. There's some of these guys who a lot of people saw them as potentially being the next kind of pr- people to step up at their position for a little right. bit. Um, they have a huge need um, as far as depth goes. So to me, um, in my opinion, I think there's a chance that some of these guys that we kind of just counted out as not being on the team next year, there's potential that they're either going to go to, I don't know, Jacksonville State, Colgate, Appalachian State. I don't know. Hey, they're, don't joke about Colgate. Okay, we okay, have a, we have a, we have we have a probable stud starting linebacker. Right, right. I'm not. I'm not joking about Colgate, but I'm just no, saying but those are the levels. To your, to your point, the kids that have sought transfers that are still in the ominous portal, um, they probably. It's not that they're not getting love. It's probably they're getting a different kind than they thought. Right. And I, I pro- think like like you're talking about. I think it's it's the lesser competition. It's the lesser. Sure. It's the lesser conferences that they probably weren't expecting to get hits from, and they're like they're right. still probably trying to hold out, hope for the best. But then I think reality is starting to set in for some of these guys that, you know, one, I understand, and, and some of these people, you got to understand, like, talking to other guys around the program and stuff like that, but, like, when a kid wants to transfer, it's it's not a knock on, like, on, oh, my gosh, like, I don't like the staff. Like, no, what they're doing, no. what they're doing doesn't, most of the time, it's literally competition it's positions mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot of its position changes well, because I mean, like you heard brian brown uh talking about on the defense like he switched around a solid handful of people right uh, uh, you that were playing out of position which i hope to god was the case for the stats that came out about the defense right. last year right and uh, i mean changes had to be made stuff wasn't working you have to you have to figure out what buttons to press right. you have to figure out what work, works best for your system and the biggest I mean, thing is kids look at Kids are getting held accountable now too. Yes, like, like they have, they have the uh, I forgot what it's called. Man, I, I love the concept of it though. But basically, like uh, the needs improvement 
like there's the needs improvement big board or whatever it's called, right? Right, it, right. And it's sitting front and center when you walk in like to the locker room or the hallway. But but essentially, it is an accountability list for the kids that need to get their crap together on the football team. Right. And a lot of kids, when you're not used to that, when you don't even know where the damn coach's office is, exactly. of course you're not talking to the coaches that much. And they have probably no idea or a vested interest in your academic work. No, so why yes. are you even going to go to class? My coaches right. don't care. I don't care. Like this, this whole season sucks. Right. But now you have a new regime coming in that not only are we going to love on you, we're going to push you, and we're going to push you in the classroom. Oh, absolutely. We're going to push you on the field. And, as a person, and, and, just in general, just growth as a person. Right. We're going to we're going to love you, but in return, we're going to ask for effort every single day and every oh, yeah. single aspect. Of what you're doing, and and I feel like a lot of those kids that were on the team weren't probably used to that. They're probably like, screw this. And it wasn't the love part they weren't probably used to, because they probably loved that part, but they also didn't. Oh my gosh, I actually have to like go to class every day. Oh my gosh, I actually have to show up for stuff. Right. And and, and so you start falling behind and, and and all this stuff, and then you're like, well, screw it. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna transfer. I'm already third on the depth chart. I'm I'm probably not gonna get any playing time. I'm exactly. You know, you start making excuses for yourself, and then all of a sudden you see a guy that you thought had potential now in the transfer portal, and you're like, right. Oh no, they're you know like, is it the staff? Are they you know do yes. the kids not like the staff? Is it, no, is it all mean, that? And you're, you've heard nothing but good things. You for for anybody who's switched jobs before, um, or or even better, you've been in a job, um, and had a new boss come in. Um, you could have really enjoyed your job previously um, and still like the work that you do, but if you have a boss come in that you guys just butt heads, that it's not the personality that you like, that's not the person who hired you, y- you know, you're going to have second thoughts about that too. Right. Um, and or if you even love the boss, but then he's like, hey, you actually have to like work. Now. Right, right. You, yeah. actually, you actually have to work. You got to like, come in and work weekends now. Yeah, yeah well, you know, or you know, you have to answer emails from home, like what, whatever you know, whatever the real world yeah, example. Yeah, I love my boss, but I also was on Twitter half the day, and now he's he he's actually making me do things. Right, and, exactly. And so I I like who I'm working for. I just there's a lot more work to do. Right, right. And that's what some of the kids don't want want to put in. Like exactly, you have to buy into a to a change, and that that's the thing. The kids that have bought in, I think, are going to be great. Mm-hmm. I really do, because like. There's too much talent, especially looking at the current roster. You go on two four seven. Our team is still major, majorly. Um, I don't know. If there's a, team a majority. There. I thought there was a majorly or something like that, but either way, majorly. I don't know. Yeah, whatever. Most of our team is still made up of. Vast majority of our team is still made up of three, three star kids with a handful of four star athletes still on sure. the team. Yeah, like that, that. Everyone's thinking like two and ten. We have nobody on this team that could really help us out. Our whole team is, is literally comprised of like decent players. They're like, NFL talent. hundred percent. Like there really is. And and I agree with Brian Brown when he's saying a lot of these kids that they, they thought they sucked. You were just playing out of position uh, with a defensive sure. coordinator that has literally been washed up since like the nineties. Yes. I mean that that's, that's the truth. And so they think it's their talent and Brown's now having to convince them mentally like, Hey, you're still an amazing athlete. You just right. need a system that fits you, and I'm right. going to give that to you. Right. And so now he's letting these kids fly around, do what they want on the field, imposing their will. Like the Rusty's things should make everybody ecstatic. I was about to that say that. That should make everybody ecstatic. Yes. That you had a kid that everyone booed Picked most of the time yes. when he was a cornerback. Because God bless, there's another wide receiver that caught the ball going down for a touchdown. Right. But 
first of all, you don't know what kind of defensive scheme this kid's getting. You don't know what's you know what's going on in his head. You don't know what's going on off, to this off day, the field. We don't know what kind of defensive right. scheme they were doing. Right. I don't think, yeah, they don't know. I'm not sure if the coaches knew. Yeah, right. No. And so he switches position, and all of a sudden, I'm not going to say he's tearing it up, but I mean, like he he ha- goes to his first public practice, and he has two interceptions. Um, he's you know tackling and playing like a four the four star player that he was when he came in. Exactly because he, unlike a cornerback, he loves hitting and tackling people. Oh, and yeah. Brian Brown's like, right, you don't need to be playing cornerback because you can cover when when need be. Right, but you love hitting and tackling people he's like that's called a safety yep, yep. and that's what i'm gonna put you at right. and then all of a sudden the kid he just, just clicked he's not he's not an andrew john he's not an andrew johnson no and the, he he is or he, and he's not an anthony johnson you know no. name whatever johnson quarter you want to he's not an anthony johnson he is a Treshawn smith but you know not only should the fans be a set excited about that story but like the kids currently in the the 11 kids still in the transfer portal how is that not a great case study for you? Mm-hmm. That if you come back, put in the effort, put in the work, the coaches will buy into you. Right. And then they will, if you put in the effort, they will find a spot for you. And right. And you and could end up starting because Russie's literally went from the transfer portal to, to starting, probably starting against Notre Dame. Yep. That quick. And and if you're looking at transferring portal, the transfer portal, like you said, the teams that are looking at these well, guys now, you're not going to be able to be on the radar. I mean, in terms of scouts, and it's in terms the, of everything else, when you go down to the FCS level sometimes. Right, and it's the same thing with Robert Hicks, too. I mean, Robert Hicks you know, started a couple games last year, played significant minutes, was one of the biggest up-and-comers on the team, right. uh, didn't like what he saw from the coaching staff, wh- where they were probably playing him in a position that he wasn't used to playing. Right. He said, I'm a, I'm a power five linebacker, so I don't if you don't want to be an edge rusher, yeah. Which, Nothing wrong with that. Like, you know, if you go to an interview and, and they're like, oh, you're great, but let's try that in Spanish. You know, like all of a sudden, like, you're going to be like, no, I'm just going to go somewhere where I speak English. Like, not, you know, it's just. That's another great example. I, I think if I'm a kid in the transfer pool, okay, so you got a kid that literally was in the same shoes as me about to start on defense. You have another kid that got to play last year uh, who went in the transfer portal because he didn't like where Brown was putting him. Right. Brown was flexible about it. He listened to the kid. He 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 sat down with him. He said, they "Okay, were understanding. They weighed the rock. Okay, you're right. too talented for me to let go. Mm-hmm. So I will put you back at the position you feel more you feel the most comfortable with. How many coaches or coordinators do you know that will literally have a discussion with the kid mm-hmm. and like agree with him that they take their ego aside and they're like, mm-hmm. I know I'm getting paid a ton of money to do this, and I think I know better than you because I probably do, but." If you really, really don't want to play this position, I understand. I'll find another spot for you to be effective. Right. Like, that's crazy. Right. Uh, In in terms of a a coordinator showing that kind of flexibility, like, if I'm Mm -hmm. in the transfer portal, I'm like, what am I – you know, like, unless – You've got to be having second thoughts. Right. Like, this staff's not only, like, you hear about the new vibes and the great vibes and so much positivity and all this stuff. They will work with you if you put in the work. Right. Right. And I think that's honestly what it comes down to to some of these transfers is just that they're not used to making that level, having that level of consistent commitment towards something. But if the kids that buy in, which is sounds like every day more and more kids on that team are buying in, mm-hmm. I, I honestly think like four games should be the bar 
in, in terms of looking at a realistic standard because mm-hmm. it is it is a tough schedule. People look at the schedule and they're like, it's still Virginia and, and Wake Forest. Uh, it's These teams the, have caught up. Like, right. The, 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 the analytics coastal... rated as the third toughest schedule in the country next year. Right, which is not – I mean like because – Notre Dame, Miami, Florida State, Clemson. As, as much as it pains me, Virginia's good at football now. Virginia's very good. Bronco Mendenhall, somebody's going to – Going to snatch that guy up right. from a from a big name school. Which sucks because I think we said like the ACC has the coolest coaching name. They do, well, yeah. And well, now that we lost Bobby, you know, you yeah. lost you lost kind of one of the guys from you the hunting gang. Dabo, you got and Dabo Bronco and Dino. Dino, yeah. I mean, like, come on. Who? who oh no one. I, we we hired Scott. Oh man, it's a yeah. shame. Anyways, let's do some rapid fire before we get out of here. Um, just off the top of your head, quick couple of sentence answers. What do you think is the going to be the strongest position group going into this season for football? Uh, still as last year. I still think the wide receivers are, are the strongest. Agreed. Um, sure. I think the wide receivers, and I mean the the only issue is just going to be getting in the ball, you know. But I, I, I think that I, you, you, I think you look that Atwell is going to going to thrive. I think they have the highest ceiling with the youngest guys with, with the younger players. Yes, I mean, like hundred percent. Yeah, because yeah. e- even the running backs are going to get a lot of pass touches in terms yeah. of like dump off passes and things like that. And, yeah. And all that. I, I, yeah, I think the wide receiver court and the fact that the kids that were there last season, how hungry do you think Des Fitzpatrick is going to be Dude, to I mean, actually have a good season? Like, I mean, he he was. We were going into last season saying like this kid he might be gone after this year. He should have been if he if, if you had any semblance of yeah. An organization. If you had a real team around right. you, the kid would have been gone. Right. He, he really I think he did have a real team. I just don't think he had a real well, team mentality around. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what about the weakest position? What do you, who, where do you think that, you know, we're looking at back at this coming season, what was the team's bugaboo? What do you think? Uh, after writing my uh, my Satterfield versus Petrino staff piece, which everyone should go read if you haven't yet, yep. um, the more research you kind of start doing on uh, not only just the staff, but, but the kids – I didn't. I knew the O line was still the weakest. I just didn't know how, right? To what degree? Mm-hmm. There's some stats on there. I mean, like it, it's it's kind of scary when you think of what a normal Power Five team should have depth wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we only have what like five scholarship linemen or something like some it, it, some staggering. Number I think they to have it. eight, but they really only have three to four guys who are truly guys that should be. You know, starting for a power five yeah. football team. I mean, we literally Satterfield brought in the best offensive lineman coach right now in the country. In in uh, best up and coming, at least. Yeah, yeah. In in Ledford, in and I mean, a li- literally in the piece, like I, I I said, like he is a lineman whisperer. The dude turns crappy lines into amazing pieces of stone wall. Yep. In, but even he, like when even he is saying. This is gonna be mm-hmm. a long turnaround. This is it's, gonna take some work. Like he's that not, should that he's should not mitigate optimistic. some no that yeah. should mitigate some expectations right out of the gate. That obviously I think the sack sacks are gonna go down. I agreed. Agreed. I think from what we've seen, it's gonna be a vast improvement. I think from right. his eyes, they're still gonna suck. I think from what we've seen and what we've been through with the O line, right. Um, I think we're we're gonna be pleased with the progress, but he's not gonna be pleased because he knows the level he can get a line. At. I think they they just need them to be middle of the road. If yeah, the, you if, need them to be mediocre. If same the, as the quarterback. If the offensive like, line and the quarterbacks can be middle of the road, you have the running backs, you have the receivers. That that's exactly and, what Satterfield said this year is like for the quarterback spot. He's like, I'm not looking for an all star. I'm not looking for a playmaker at quarterback. I'm looking for a manager. 
Yes. If I can have a proper game manager. If you have a guy who's not throwing picks and yeah, getting maybe five to six first down completions a game, that's it. He's that's not asking you, you to scramble and, and nope. make plays pulling out of your hat every time. Like yep. He knows what he's doing. He has a structured plan in place, yes. and so he just needs somebody to effectively do that. Now, I do think I think Puma's going to be the starter. Yes. Um, because I, just as a facilitator, I, th- I think yeah. because like he has the more traditional arm and stuff, mm-hmm. I do believe they're going to come up with some creative and crazy stuff for uh, Cunningham. For Cunningham, yeah, I really do. Not He's only just guy. like a wildcat package because that's too obvious, but I, I think they're going to implement him right. in a lot of cool ways that we haven't really thought of yet. Because like they're, I, I agree mean, with them. Like he's too talented not to leave on the field, right? And cutting or leave off the, the thing field, about but, Cunningham is that he's still a throwing threat, like. A passing throw, yeah, I would exactly. say. He, he, he can throw the ball accurately, but he cannot throw the ball power five accurate. That's right. That would be my synopsis. And from what I've seen from him, it's more of a size leading to mechanics thing than anything. Yeah. Um, it just looks like, uh, it kind of looks like his, you know, maybe, I don't want to get into hand size or anything like that, but it's just, there's something about he doesn't have the zip on the ball, he doesn't have... He can't make a lot of the throws that he's going to need to thrive in Satterfield's offense. With right. that said, if pass is formidable, um, I think you could see Cunningham in on some packages or maybe running two or three drives a game. Um, and you could see him in a running back, wide receiver. I, I don't know what they're going to do with him, but he's got to be on the field. To me, he is Lamar Jackson without the arm. That I mean, I, and I know that's... Crazy talk! You're talking about about one of the best players in college football history. No, he's a, he's he's but, got some natural comparables because like when when he would scramble, he you could see he sees the field very similarly well, when and, he and runs. Keep like, in mind, he learned from Lamar Jackson. He is a strategic so. open field runner, right. and it's awesome to see. Like when he broke away for like that sixty yard run, I forgot who was against UK. Maybe May- that or Western well, or something like that. But yeah, he it, it well, was, he busted like a seventy five yarder. Okay. Uh, on the first play of a drive against against UK. Yeah, there were some people, and and like the intangibles, I think, is what you're talking about that you see similarly with right. him and Lamar. Like, yes, right. obviously, I think he's got a lot more ways to go with throwing mechanics. But the first thing he said actually about Frank Ponce, uh, which is U of L's new quarterback coach. If right. you guys didn't know that, yep. uh, Ponce is also a South Florida like just legend in the high school rankings, which right. is awesome. I mean, you're talking about an instant pipeline back down to, to South Florida. Absolutely. I was pumped about that. But but also like the first thing he said about Ponce was that he's like, God, he's like he just keeps preaching the, the small mechanics mm-hmm. and the details. He kept talking about the details. He's like, Coach Ponce is all about the details. Right. And clearly that meant the other coach was not. Which you know, and, and, uh, and the I'm other quarterbacks gonna, coach. Yeah, we're not even going to get into that. I have a, literally. I could set aside time for I don't a whole have podcast bags, about right. Nick Petrino, but but yeah. So basically, he, I think Ponce was a little frustrated that he had to start from the ground up mm-hmm. with with Cunningham and, sure. and probably some with Puma too. Um, just in in terms of some of the small detailed mechanic stuff, and I think Ponce was like, I came here to coach quarterbacks, not to like teach kids how to like become a power five quarterback. Like he right. thought he was already inheriting right. like a couple power five quarterbacks to like right. make them better fit in the system, things like that. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, we can't even teach them Satterfield system yet because like I have to teach them like proper mechanics first. Like, yeah. Like how to, you know, a proper three, five, seven step drop. Right. How to, you know, like 
like this thing got passed. You would yeah. think that Bobby Petrino. I mean, if you if you go back to and again, don't want to spend too much time on this, but, no, but you go back to Bobby Petrino 1.0. Like Brian Braun. I don't I mean, know if like, you ever got to go any of the open practices or if you heard what coaches and players talked about. Like Petrino would literally like get in your ass if your toe is like I'm talking. You can't see it, obviously, yeah, but an inch or two. About the most minute of, things, yeah. Just or if your shoulders weren't squared in, in the exact correct way, or if you're coming off the ball and and not in the, in the perfect position. So that juxtaposition between that and what people saw in 2018, right? I mean, it's like I mean, it, literally, the only way you can say it is that, I mean, granted, stuff happened in his personal life, um, you know, but it's to me, I mean, it seems like he gave up. It really does. Yeah. Um. There's well, no. There was no pride in coaching. Zero pride. Zero pride in coaching that team. When I, I think the big thing for him was like when his father died. Not only was that his dad, but that was his coaching mentor. He Absolutely. spoke with every day. Like you're talking strategy with your guy every day, and he lost that. And he. Yeah. He just wasn't. That's he a wasn't tough place because like man. where are you going to turn to like get that kind of insight on a daily right. basis? And and yep. I think that was a huge blow to him. But then also you look at what George left him with contract wise. I mean, yeah, I could probably tank this team, which I've never done and I don't want to do, and that's not really like my who I am as a coach. But I have an AD that's now gone that guaranteed me like $14 million. Right. I mean, yep. like that's the thing. Like, You know we had to weigh the options at some point in time and be like, look, obviously the cat's out of the bag. I'm just going to keep saying every week at our press conferences, we're just going to practice harder because yep. I yep. keep saying. You know I would almost had to laugh. At the end of the season, if I was him, like I'm like I've said the same exact thing at and these then, press conferences over and over and over, week after week, and people just keep like, like they're angry, but they're like, okay, yeah, like, and, like and just he started, harder. and I, I don't know if you, I mean, I don't, if you're anything like me, like you're an idiot who just sits there and listens to all his press conferences because you know I have no life or whatever. Um, We're gonna have a better offense after the ball. Well, a lot of his like he became so sarcastic with the media too with like i remember there was one day where he like just came out and he was just like i mean you know we've been here for three minutes and nobody's even asked me about colin wilson you know he's out with an injury and, and everybody's like yeah nobody asked about colin wilson because you never play him like you know just like stupid stuff where like yeah nobody asked because there's a hundred guys on the team and he's one of the guys that is whatever whatever is in your doghouse and you right. won't tell anybody why um, you know, so it's just like stuff like that. Like it's just, oh man, we, you know, we could go on for hours about that. Right, but but I think in general, like in a nutshell, you're right. Like I th- I think at some point during the season, he realized this is this is going to be a failure, Over. and and if worse comes to worse, I still have a ton of money. Yep, to and fall I, I back think, on. I mean, which I, I, can't I don't. Lie, I, I mean, think we should fight that tooth and nail because like the I stats that are too. coming out. That not only just the stats, like result wise, but like the culture that you're hearing about, like the 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 poison inside the program it, it's incredible it's, like if you're an 18 year old like no wonder like jordan travis and all that like you know you don't want to talk bad about the guy because he's still currently a head coach but like at the same time he probably wanted to go on a mountain and preach like this is not a good thing at uval right now like no coat everything's no. cold no one talks to each other no one even knows where things are even, in the, I just in can't the, even imagine the like, complex can you imagine just like I mean, coaches go to their job for 14, 16 hours a day, and they're just, like, hiding in their offices. They're not talking to players. Oh, the players don't know where they are. And they're you weren't recruiting either. Like, them. you weren't on the road recruiting, apparently. No. You weren't even going to the high school. You weren't even recruit. going down the road. Like, so what, what were you doing? Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's a great question. And, and in my piece that I talked about, a lot of these guys 
didn't really know what to do right. on a daily basis right. because that was the first time they had been a position coach, right? which is crazy to think of in a Power 5 conference when all the coaches we have now have had to come up through the ranks. You've had to... You've had to coach in high school. You had to coach in an FCS school. You it's had to coach position coaches for 30 years before every, you even get a coordinator job. Every single story is such a juxtaposition. It's almost a joke. It's, it's not. And it's, it's crazy. And I don't think people understand like the experience that this staff is bringing at every single position. Mm-hmm. Yes, it'll it'll pay immediately for like the current players, right? But like if this staff even stays together just a couple more years. Because like, this staff is too good individually when you look at their mm-hmm. accolades and awards already. A lot of, not a lot, but like there's a probably a decent amount of these guys that aren't going to be here in the next few years if things go the way Satterfield thinks they're going to go, and right. that's a good thing for us. Like, right. you, yes, absolutely. You want your coaches to move on because that obviously means your program is progressing. Right. Um, but I, and, I, I, do, I do think Satterfield, people talk about, you know, ish, like they're concerned with his recruiting, but I think if he can recruit the right assistant coaches, that's the first hardest recruiting job right there because yep. you're doing the one thing the last coach. That could was here, not do. Couldn't do it all. Period. We had to pay people millions of dollars just to tolerate him and post up a 2-10 and ten season. We paid Van yes. Gorder over a million dollars as a defensive coordinator. We literally paid Van Gorder almost as much as Clemson was paying Venables. The best I could have gotten UofL a 2-10 and ten season yes, for a million dollars. I mean, it's just it, – it's it's almost unfathomable, unfathomable, unfathomable th- 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 to think about. I mean, we, we are just – leading the country in stutter words tonight. Right. Um, I mean, if you think about, like, you know, Satterfield said he was making seven grand his first year as a coach. Um, I mean, like, sleeping on couches, like, just making, just absolutely just making the ultimate sacrifices. When you he have came been here, through it. Yeah. when Satterfield came here, he was just like, just like sleeping on a couch at a, at a hotel, eating uh, fast food hamburgers for, like, like, just so much stuff. Like, I mean, like, the first week, they post pictures of, and obviously some of this stuff's intentional, but like the staff is like cleaning windows in their offices. Like, I think I made a joke like they were literally having to physically clean up the mess. Yes. That, that, that Petrino <laughs> staff left behind. I'm like, yes. it's a physical mess that they had to clean up. 100%. Uh, but yeah, no, that's the thing. Like, you appreciate being a Power 5 head coach so much more mm-hmm. when you've had to endure the things. That Not, you traditionally have to endure as as a up and coming coach, and a lot of those guys hadn't done that. I mean, a lot of those guys about, probably half those half those people on 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 Petrino's old staff were either his sons or someone that had played for him. Yes, and they all were literally grad assistants one year. And position coaches the next, right? And that's not and that how a that scary works. Scary thought. That's not how that works in high school. No, it's like, not at I all. Mean, it's and, and so you're you're now relying on these guys to not only recruit that position well across the country, but also develop those kids. In, and in it's literally and, because they're the only people that can stand you. Yeah, and you're winging like, it. You're winging it. Besides, besides your head coach's direction, um, which, like you said, I mean, like I, I don't know how he probably, you know, worked his staff, but I mean, like. It's essentially like up to up to you, like because that's the whole thing. He knew these guys didn't have the experience, and I no. think Petrino was okay with that because he wanted to control every yep. aspect yep. of his. It's team. so much easier to control things when you have a bunch of. He tubes, could like, not delegate power just, because he had no one to delegate it to. Nope. nope. And and I think that's a huge thing with Satterfield. He knows his weaknesses. And right, like yes. he knows I can yeah. delegate this because I've hired the appropriate people. Yep. To delegate that power to. When you think about like even going even more deeper, even deeper into the contrast. So you look at 
um, um, Todd Grantham and his relationship with Petrino. Todd Grantham is now, I mean, and, and was no, he was known as, is now seen as one of the best defensive coordinators in the country. So let's he, swap him with uh, Mississippi with State the two, guy. With yeah. literally the With the guy who's worst. never been defensive coordinator before. Yeah. yeah, it's fine. It's okay. And pay him just the same amount. That's the crazy part. Like, I... Like, Make make zero. I would love to get promoted. Zero yeah, I'd love to have no experience to be hired at a new position and then get paid that amount of money. Like that. That's the big disparity. No one coordinator-wise in college football should get paid that much because it really is most of it's based on experience. Absolutely. And when you don't have that experience and you're still paying somebody like you're still paying a Peter Sherman, like you're paying a Todd Grantham. There's a huge issue there it's, because there's a huge disparity that, in there, experience in coaching. There are a single-digit number of assistant coaches in college football that should make over a million dollars. Right. And, and it literally is like the Venables. And it's it's and, the Granthams. And Louisville was paying like two or three of them a million dollars. Because <laughs> their agents were and, literally like, we know Petrino needs a coordinator. And right. we know I'm the seventh pick. So mm-hmm. you're basically out of options. So you're yep. either going to pay me a big sum of money to be on this staff. Or you're basically just going to hire a grad assistant to become a defensive coordinator too, because why not? Who do you think is going to be a breakout player this year? What's what's one name? I know everyone's uh, talking about Hassan Hall, which I'm pumped for. I think mm-hmm. Satterf- he's going to thrive in Satterfield's offense. He's an obvious answer. He, yeah. yeah, he's. I foresee the obvious answer probably. I know there's already been an article about like a thousand yard rusher with him. Satterfield has had. I think the last two years at App State, he produced uh, at least one or two 1,000-yard rushers last, per season. Last year, he had a guy go for 1,400 yards, and their secondary back, like their third down guy, went for, I believe, around 700 yards. Yep. Um, Louisville's leading rusher last year was Malik Cunningham. Yep. They haven't had a leading rusher as a running back since Petrino's first year. It's crazy to think about. Um, I was going to say, because it was what, Bilal, Bilal Powell? No, no, was? so Bilal Powell was, was uh, way before that. I believe no, um, I, the leading rusher in 2014 would have been either Dom Brown or Michael Dyer. I meant the last guy to have like a 1,000 oh, yards. Oh, 1,000 yards, yes. Yeah, the last, last guy to have, to have a 1,000 yard season. season that wasn't Lamar Jackson. 10 um, years ago. Was 10 years ago. Yeah, that's nuts. I mean, like that's, that's crazy. That's crazy to think about. Uh, I think he's going to be super productive. I think the biggest guy for me... Um, I'm pumped to see what they do with Tutu Atwell. I, yes. I think he, not only, yes, technically like wide receiver, whatever you want to call it, I think he's going to be a jack of all trades in that yep. offense. I think I, he's going to do speed. End like, arounds. End arounds. Um, you name it, he's going to be involved in every scheme of, somehow, some way. He's such a versatile guy for how small he is. He yep. is everything that Louisville fans thought that Travion Samuels could have been. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really fascinated to see the way that that um, that he's used in the offense. I think that just because he's a small dude doesn't mean that they can't utilize him in other areas too, which is the cool part. Um, right. I think that he can line up um, at, at all three of the wide receiver positions. Um, and the same can be said with the two other likely starters in, in, uh, in um, Des Fitzpatrick and Seth Dawkins. Well, that's the thing. They all bring a different skill set. Right, to, they, to the wide receiver core, and I think that's what makes them the strongest aspect of this team right now because Tutu doesn't have the height that some of the other guys have, but he's got the quickness, the elusiveness. Right. Um, like you said, I mean, like the kick and turn on a dime. Like it's it's crazy yep. how he can hit his max speed, how fast that 
that hits. Um, and, and like you said, I mean, Dawkins and Fitzpatrick have, have other skills that Tutu doesn't in terms of, you know, they yep. can go for 50-50 balls. They can, they can do some of the things that might be a little bit tougher for him. Yep. But as a, as a whole, like as a core, I think they're amazing just because they, mm-hmm. they all bring something different. And I think Satterfield knows that and is going to know how to utilize that. I'm going to go breakout player Jarrett Jackson. Okay. Um, I think that the that UVL has lacked an edge rusher. I think last year they just – they I mean, going back to kind of weaknesses because I never really addressed what I thought was, I think, in, in the trenches. Yeah. It's just so obvious on both sides of the ball. Yeah. They, they have to find a guy that can get to the quarterback. Um, I think that Gigi Robinson is going to be a really solid, impressive player – you know, kind of a cog in the middle, mm-hmm. um, a run stopper. Yep. Um, but if you talk about a guy that can get around the edge, I think that Jared Jackson, I mean, he has all the physical tools. He, he did last year, and we saw a little bit, um, you know, of what he could be, what he could do. Um, I think that he's a, he's a guy that, that could really break out. I, I know we've talked about Amante Gabon. I know we talked about um, um, Taparius Peterson and, and, and some of these other guys that could, that could uh, you know, really potentially be a spark next year. Um, I, I think that Boozy Whiz, Whitlow is finally going to be the player that we think that he could be. Um, he, like Colin Wilson, who I, I, you know, I'll talk about you know, ad nauseum about guys that just somehow inexplicably, inexplicably found Petrino's doghouse, but I, I really think that Boozy Whitlow is going to be have the kind of year that people have thought he was going to have since high school. Um, but but Jared Jackson, to me, is is a guy that, um, if we're talking about breakout player, like a guy that not many people know about, that by end, years end could be like a, a household name in, around this area. I think could be could be Jared Jackson. I just think it's it's sad in general that there could be so many technically like breakout stars on Louisville on the mm-hmm. defensive side because that the defense just last year like Van Gorder basically came in explained. We're gonna do this super super complex system. Yeah, and he like, had to know you're not gonna be there long term. So I don't know why you were trying to fit that right, in, in the first place. Right. And like it's, you basically just wasted every kid on that team. Like you wasted you wasted a, a year for a them. Se- yeah, yeah, a season uh, that could have been either played somewhere else, being productive, or or even with a different staff. But like shockingly I, ignorant. It. I just legitimately felt bad for a lot of those players. I'm like, you, you don't deserve that on a defense. And they were getting embarrassed. And that's the thing. Like, those kids, they know they have the talent. And then you're seeing the scoreboard, and you're getting beat by 50 to 60 points to Georgia Tech. Every and other like, play. It's sad. It's, yeah. And, and so, of course, that those kids feel dejected, which they rightfully should at the end of the year. And I think I think with Brian Brown coming in and Cord Dennison coming in and all these, all these all-stars coaching-wise, like that – that are all on the same page with the same message, preaching the same mission yep. about like with the defense. It's it's gonna play it's gonna pay dividends. I mean, like I, I really do think it's gonna be nuts to see the the, the immediate change that takes place. Not Absolutely. just like everyone keeps talking about like yeah, more effort, more more effort. I think our defense is actually gonna be pretty competitive when you th- when you think about like yeah, you're, I mean, you're you're talking about some of the players, but I really do think like even we don't know how good the defense can be really, these kids that you're talking about had a whole year to basically lift more, uh, to, to be more ingrained with their teammates to literally, they're going to have an off season with Brian Brown who, who runs. Yes. It's three, four, but he lets them play. Oh yeah. Like he yes. lets them he play. Lets them be He's play like, makers. as long as you yes. fly to the ball 
and cause havoc, I don't mm-hmm. give a crap. Right. And that's exactly what these kids need is just more freedom. And they don't – he literally – I love in an interview he did the other day. He basically like, I'm going to take all of the thinking mm-hmm. out of your brain. If right. you're on the defense. Right. And that's exactly what the opposite happened last year. Is same Van same Gorder, thing we were talking about, the transition from Bettina to Mac. And Yeah, right. and Van Gorder literally sh- tried to shove so much weird stuff into their heads mm-hmm. that they didn't know. They froze half the time. Like, if, if it was a trick play, if it was, if it was a, you know, a dump pass, if it was a right. flea flicker, anything, everything apparently seemed like a surprise to them. Right. But, but yeah, so, like, they're like, oh, this scheme, what do I do? What do I Right. Brown's just like, go after him. Go after that guy. Fly to the ball. Like if you watch App State's tapes, oh, uh, it, yeah. it's so cool to see how their defense just swarms. So fast. They right. swarm to the right. ball, and it's nuts. It's not like you're you're not looking at like a Alabama, Clemson, you know, uh, Georgia type of mold. No, it's much more just everybody is just literally swarming to the ball and and they're going to have as much team speed as possible on the defense and they're going to have team speed that matches up with the offense which is just logical yeah um so you know the oftentimes plays won't develop where they get can get to the secondary because you're going to have guys who can match up with you on the outside right and and so that's mainly what i'm excited to see is, is brown's like look i know i got fast guys i know i got guys that want to hit i just have to convince them they can go back to doing that. Right, right. And it's, it's going to be a lot of a mental thing. Yeah, it, it um, really will be. The one thing that I really look forward to this year more than anything is turnover margin. Um, I mean, literally just think about a play when UofL forced a turnover last year. Can you think of a play when they forced a turnover? Like, does anything even come to your head? What, was that in one of your, like, top five plays of, of last season article? Cause no, no. So I, I couldn't bring myself to read that one. <laughs> yeah, that was, I did not. I don't want to really, one, like, really one was, any aspect One of was a season. punt return and one was a kickoff return, if that helps. Yeah. I think, what, the, the Clemson one <laughs> where we were already down, like, 70 points or something? Honestly, yeah. the, uh, the number one – okay, here's Louisville's, uh, Louisville's season summarized. The number one play last year on my list was a two-yard gain. It's fair. <laughs> the the Dez at uh, least it was a two yard catch, two yard gain instead of a two yard loss. Yeah. yeah, that's true. That's true. No, but number one thing that I'm really looking forward to is turnovers. I don't have the, the stats in front of me because my internet's down. But if I had to guess, it would be in the single digits of number of turnovers that they forced last year, which is abysmal. Um, and Petrino, <laughs> Petrino's first year back, they had a player with more than ten turnovers forced by himself in Gerard Hallman. Um, I mean that's how that's how far and fast they fell. Well, and and, and if you read, um, not trying to keep plugging in my own article, but basically there's a lot of good highlighted stats for each coach in their position, right? And if if you look at Brian Brown, he was a, uh, I think he was a cornerbacks coach before he was a uh, a full defensive coordinator. But basically, he was intricate in App State's defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, integral. Integral. Sorry. Yes. It is late. I apologize. Um, but essentially. He was a key component in in how their defense got turnovers, and, mm-hmm. and so you look at the interception rate that their defenses would have, and it's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. Like if you remember, I still vividly remember. Um, maybe had a bunch of beers. I don't know. Uh, but basically, when uh, we were playing Florida State at Louisville, uh, and I think this was when they were still not when we beat the crap out of them with uh, Lamar, but um, I think when we still had Teddy, maybe. 
Oh, in in Petrino's first year with the gray uniforms, they yeah. went up twenty one nothing. We were up twenty one nothing at halftime. Right. It was amazing. I think we picked off Jamise like three times in the yeah first in the half. first half. Yep, yep. That's the kind of electricity on defense that I think not maybe next year, but if Brown sticks around in as a future. defensive coordinator, yep. he loves. Turnovers. He loves, loves interceptions. Loves he loves fumble recoveries. Well, and I think that's what when you when you see that Rush East is going to to um to safety. When you see that, I apologize. Um, the uh he was this, he was a corner last year, moving to linebacker now. Um uh, yeah, your boy from Ohio State, number ten. You know who you are. Yep. Um, but. Regardless, when you see when you see players that are smaller and quicker moving, um, changing positions, um, their defense is going to be is going to be predicated on turn, on forcing turnovers. It's going to have to be. Yep. Um, and that's that's exciting because even if the offense isn't clicking right away, if you have a defense that is getting you the ball back and giving you more opportunities, um, you know the offense had a lot of opportunities last year, but it's because they the defense got scored on so often. Um, but regardless, if you have more opportunities with the chance to actually put yourself ahead in the game, um, it could it really can work wonders for your team. Um, last quick hitter that none of these quick hitters are quick at all, but it's all right. <laughs> I'm not good at the quick hitters apparently. Favorite place to eat in Louisville during the summer? Anything you got? Favorite just favorite patio Ooh. hangout during the summer? What you got? Yeah, so I'm excited about this one. Um, we're not getting paid for this shout out, which we should be, but. Um, so I'm excited for Fall City, and I'll tell you why. Fall City, okay. One because uh, I, I live over in Butchertown, so it's literally a two minute walk to yeah, the you can tap walk room. Over. Okay. Two minute walk to the tap room, uh, but they are opening uh, Bandito's Tacos is opening up. Yep. In the tap room, so inside because in, it inside. was previously a, a food truck, right? Right. Behind. And yeah. I don't know if you guys have been there lately. We just went over there uh, a few days ago. They have built this massive. Uh, Pergola, I think is what it's called. Right? Yeah, like right. Like the, the wooden slats. Yes. Up top. Massive one that, yeah. that literally spans their entire courtyard in the back. So That's like, awesome. Way more shade because that was like the biggest thing is like you want to drink outside, but then your beer gets warm in like a second. And, and you're like out there just sweating bullets. Right. But yeah. now there's so much more shade and it's perfect. And I can't wait to eat tacos and drink phenomenal beer um, two minutes away from my house because... Obviously, it's mm-hmm. not a not a long walk back. So no, that's, no, that's what I'm excited about. Obviously, I'm a little more biased because like it's right yeah. there next to my house. But I love tacos and beers. You so. down for a little gravely action? Yeah, absolutely. Um, any uh, honestly to answer this question, any Bardstown Road chilling um, is, is good by me. Yeah. Uh, we just talked about the Eagle. That's where the that's where the um, the freaks choose to dine. Um, At least the ones with deep pockets. <laughs> the, a, a big red Louis yeah. favorite is Roosters. Yeah, there you go. Like, the freaks that don't get funded by the yeah. athletic department <laughs> have to eat at <laughs> have to eat at less the average Joe's places. freaks. Right they there, eat you go. Mackey's. Yeah, apparently Vince Vaughn joins us. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the average Joe's. Well, I think that's all. That's all we got today. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Alex. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. Um, let's drop that at handle. Alex is at Stengel S T E Stengel S T E N G E L yeah, ten forty two. Yeah, I was gonna say I was like it's just my last name and then a bunch of numbers. Stengel's ten forty two. 
If Jingle ten forty two. We'll get it right. If you go to the Big Red Louis website, pull oh, up my name. pull up my article of Satterfield versus Petrino and the staffs behind it. Not only will you learn a lot, but I think my Twitter handle's on there as well. That's so right. That, that'll be a little bit easier than, than you just fully butchering my last name. And, and as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Meyer underscore Presley, and always follow us at the Big Red Louis on Twitter. Um, thank you guys so much for joining us, and we look forward to hearing from you next time.